Wednesday, May the 12th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Uh, what a week, huh? <laughs> Most of you who uh, who know that uh, we talk a lot about horse racing here on That's What G Said and, you know, my history and some of the places that, uh, that I've worked, you know, that I'm very into horse racing and, and there has been a lot of news about horse racing and not the best news. And we're going to get into all of that. Uh, on this episode, we'll talk with Andrew Champagne, and we're going to um, just discuss everything that's happened over the last couple of days, the Medina Spirit positive, um, some of the things that, um, uh, the interviews that Baffert has said, and some of the clips, um, some of the places where he's talked, we'll give some of our thoughts on it, and we'll just try to give like all the information that we have out there, some feelings. It's sort of like a raw talk where we um, go in circles because it's just a, sort of sad right now um, with, with what's been going on in the world of horse racing. So we're going to get to all that um, at the end of this episode. I'm a little bummed because of everything that's happening. So um, I'm probably not going to be playing the races all that much this weekend myself. I will still give you some horses on the Friday card at Pimlico and on the Saturday part card at Pimlico. I will we will still go through the Preakness uh, race on Saturday and, and handicap the race. So anyone out there who does want to play, you will get some of the insight. I personally am just a little bit soured with what's what's been going on the last couple of weeks. So you'll hear more about that um, later on. Uh, but what I am going to do is I am going to be playing uh, a lot of Stable Duel this weekend, um, and, and that will be um, where a lot of my focus and a lot of my bankroll is going. So, uh, you know, that'll be one of the uh, the focuses for me. Instead of, you know, the the money that I was going to spend, I'll, uh, I'll play in some of those big Stable Duel contests because um, those are some of our friends. Um, I don't really feel like uh, I, I want to penalize them for anything. I just, I'm, I don't know, I'm not, not really into... Uh, you know, putting all the cash in uh, this weekend to play the Preakness when after everything that's been going on. So um, we'll talk more about that. We have a lot of other uh, stuff we're going to get to in here. Baseball. We're going to go through what is up in the MLB. Uh, spend a few minutes, uh, a nice segment, uh, hitting on all the teams that are playing well or not playing very well. We will get to the NFL draft with Eric. We're going to go through, I think, five or six teams that he really liked their draft, five or six teams that he did not love their draft, and then we'll go through some other picks in particular that he liked throughout the draft. We spent about 40-45 minutes giving you a big draft uh, review, and then I will get into the stable duel schedule for the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about Pimlico Friday and some horses that I will be using in my lineup. And then we'll get to that conversation with Andrew Champagne where we talk everything about Medina Spirit and what's been going on over the last couple days. Something I'm really excited about is to introduce a new sponsor on That's What G Said. In fact, this episode is brought to you by BTV. What's BTV? Better than Vegas. Better than dot Vegas. Now, so some of you who follow me on social media, I'm sure you know that Better Than Vegas is a, a website that I've posted on before. I will post some videos for Stable Duel a lot of the time, put them up on, on uh, Better Than Vegas. They are getting a takeover right now. They're bringing in new talent, and I was asked to uh, come in, do some videos for them, and what's cool about Better Than Vegas is it is a more of a sports gambling website where if you are someone who plays baseball, basketball, hockey, Premier League, uh, I mean, you name it. Football, obviously, when football season comes up. College sports, when that's coming up. like Anything that you can wager on, there are videos from handicappers, from gamblers, giving you their daily selections. There is information on all the betting lines um, for all of the different sports that you want. 
And what's really cool is they have free weekly contests that you can get involved in, and there are going to be some big, big contests coming up in the next few days, and we're going to give you more information about that. So right now, uh, bookmark that website, betterthan.vegas. You're going to see me posting videos up there a lot of the time, and there are lots of different people that post videos there. So you can go through, find some of uh, some handicappers that you like, their angles, you like some of the analysis they, they give, maybe some that, that help you, you know, uh, win some money. And then once you start checking out this website, you're going to want to play in the weekly showdown where you can play in these free contest and all you have to do is post some videos with some of your own thoughts so uh, really cool there it will continue to give you more information about better than dot Vegas make sure to go bookmark that website right now and if you want give them a follow on social media on Twitter it's at BTV bets at BTV bets so you'll be hearing lots about them uh, in the coming weeks on that's what G said. Let's get into some of the uh, the baseball conversation. So um, we are, you know, in a weird spot in baseball right now because I, I kind of talked about this last week. It doesn't seem like anybody's really that good, to be to be fair. Um, there are some teams that are playing well, but I don't know who the hell I, I, I really think is like uh, an, an awesome, terrifying team. We thought that was going to be the Dodgers and the Padres, and both of them have looked a, a little more beatable than I think... Um, and maybe because they've run into each other a good amount of times and they've both been a little banged up. But uh, I just don't think you look through the league and think anyone's terrifying. And we'll get into more specifics right now. But, you know, keep in mind, it, there have been a lot of weird rule changes over the last couple of years. The season was shortened with COVID. They kept some rules that have now rolled over into this year and they don't feel like they really make a lot of sense for a 162-game baseball season. And we could get a really long labor stoppage at the end of, of 2022. I mean, I would not be shocked based on it. all of the discussions. Anytime that the, the players and uh, and the owners have had to have negotiations, it, it, they have not gone well. So a couple things that Jeff Pass and, and some of the, the folks on ESPN were, were discussing, you know, in, in one of their articles, MLB must find one set of rules to stick with them. So... You know, the the, sim- the most simple. Okay, the DH. The universal DH. I think we have to... Everybody's a DH now, or there's not. We got a taste of it last year. Too many teams that have a DH, and you go into a, an American League ballpark, and then not when you're in a National League ballpark. You got the pitchers hitting. It's just like a completely different game. It, and, like, the way it has to be managed, it's totally different. You get into the playoffs, and it's just... it's It's different. So... That that's one thing that, that they've pointed out. You know, you got the seven inning double headers. Um, and obviously, Madison Bumgarner had a no hitter in one of them, and they're not counting it as an official no hitter. You've got the runner in scoring position in extra innings. Like a lot of those things made sense in the shortened season last year, right? Hey, we can't have games going like 15, 16 innings, so let's try to make sure they get over with quicker in the tenth, eleven inning by putting a runner on second. Sure, uh, we can't play these doubleheader games where we have to use every arm in the bullpen, so let's go seven innings, seven innings, it's just not going to wipe out a a pitching staff. Totally get it last year. I don't know. Feels a little different this year. This is a full season again. So, the big factor that MLB wants to try to to change, and and a lot of the reason why they've they've kept some of these rules implemented is, is that they want to speed up the game. 
which is great, right? I mean, we watch some baseball games sometimes that are like four and a half hours. You get game that just, and I love watching. I'm watching the Dodgers. I love it. I don't mind sitting here for four hours, but if you're not a baseball fan, that's way too much. That's way too much for for baseball fans. It's and and I think I really agree with the point that um that this article talks about. It's not necessarily the time of the game and how long it is, right? A four-hour game, sure, that's long. But it's the pace of the play. It's the game can be quickened up without necessarily having to do these gimmicky things to make it shorter, right? So uh, there are a couple things I thought that were, were interesting here. This is welcome to the only industry on persuading its customers to enjoy less of its product. <laughs> it says MLV is confusing time of game with pace of play. And its efforts at acceleration run opposite to the skills that teams are prioritizing and incentivizing. So think about this, right? You want to make big league money as a hitter, hit home runs, draw walks, don't sweat the strikeouts. As a pitcher, strike out as many guys as possible. The metrics employed by every front office dictate a style of play that leads to longer games, more pitches, fewer balls put in play, and defensive shifts that take longer to set up and alter our perception of the game's positions. That's that's a great point. On April 29th, the Red Sox beat the Mets 1-0 in a game that had 6 hits and 30 strikeouts. Fourth time in Major League history that a game had 6 hits or fewer and at least 30 strikeouts. And... There were over 1,000 strikeouts more than there were hits in April. A first in any month ever in the history of baseball. There is a current league batting average around 234. That's the lowest league league average since 1968. And it's it's a little dangerous because everything continues to lead in this direction, right? It's sort of what we see in the NBA, three-pointers. Um, you're going to get these crazy um, weird swing games where one team's really hot, one team's not, and then there's a lot of blowouts that happen this year in the NBA as teams continue to, to read into the analytics more because they do make sense, right? But for, for, the, for us as a fan, we're watching a bunch of strikeouts, a bunch of walks, not a bunch of steals, not a bunch of movement, not a bunch of hitting, getting runners over into scoring position, not a bunch of wasting outs, which it makes sense, but do we want to watch that as a fan? Is that the most exciting thing for us? Um, and again, you know, that's a debate that who cares? Is that something that you even care about? Is do you want the game to be um, a, just a totally different, long, drawn out kind of game? It goes on to say, you know, it's not the hitter's fault. The game has urged them to get the ball up in the air to do damage. Players get paid a lot of money to hit that way. But I think like anything in any sport, when everyone starts to zig, somebody's got to zag or start to zag back the other way. So the average starting pitcher threw 95 pitches per start from 2001 to 2015. And then from 2016 to 2020, that dropped down to 89 pitches. So what what's ended up happening now, right? It is a... Uh, it's a domino effect. So you you have a starter that you're not going to leave in very long. And so now that starter, who normally would start a game and think about how they were going to set up hitters throughout the game multiple times and maybe think about, you know, how much they had left in the tank to try to spread that amount of energy out throughout their seven innings, eight innings that they were thinking about possibly pitching, right? 
Now what ends up happening? You've got pitchers, starting pitchers that know they're only going four, five, six max, right? You get into trouble, you're out. So what they're doing now, they're saying, okay, I'm going to come in firing away. I'm going to give you all my best stuff right off the bat. I may only face this hitter once or twice. So I'm not going to worry about what I have to deal with and, and face them later. And so now every hitter is getting like a more difficult at bat. You're getting pitchers that are not really taking off as many at bats because they they know they, they don't have a long shelf life staying in the game. And then you bring in a new reliever and that reliever's throwing rocket fire. And so now the hitters have to face a new fresh arm, boom. Thus, they're struggling. They're facing high quality arms throughout. And, yeah, you know, chain reaction. Then you throw the shift into there, right? Talks about how the, the left-handed hitters are really vulnerable now. Because of the shift... If a lefty is up and a lefty is a pull hitter, which most of them are now, they're going to get three position players on the first base side of the infield. So they're going to get, I mean, very little chance to beat a ball out or any sort of an infield hit. So, at, you know, at least on the flip side, if you're a right-handed hitter and and you're pulling the ball and there are three to the opposite side, you can perhaps beat a, a ball out that's a little deeper and they have to make a throw across the diamond. So, it w- what ends up happening? Less ground balls are hit because the hitters are trying to find holes or launch into the air and they're not there on the ground as much. So, <laughs> this, you know, we're becoming like too smart for our own good here in, in baseball. And it's not it's not been the most positive thing in the world. Honestly, um, and and we're gonna get into uh, some of the specifics in, in just a moment, and some of the teams who have been playing well. But first, we're gonna talk about Sarah Candle Company, and the website for them is cerracandles.com. Their goal was to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, high quality that everyone can enjoy. Here's why Sarah Candles are the best: that all natural soy wax candle, free from those toxins, those toxins that are found in uh, paraffin wax which is used by other leading brands this all natural soy wax is actually going to hold your scent better and burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle they've got 25 different scents available three different sizes fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils these are top ingredients quality packaging affordable prices longer burning and when you use that promo code GINO it'll get you 10% off your purchase, none of those toxins, none of those carcinogens, none of those pollutants that are present in paraffin wax. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com. I'm a big fan of the uh, the fresh roses scent. I actually have one uh, burning right now as I'm recording this podcast. So C-E-R-A Candles.com, promo code G-I-N-O. Okay, let's get on to uh, some specifics of the last couple weeks. In baseball first Another no hitter So that was really the 5th this year The 4th official right Madison Bumgarner had a 7 inning no hitter But Wade Miley just threw a no hitter So that was the 5th one If you're counting Madison Bumgarner's In 30 days Rodon, Joe Musgrove, uh, John Means, Bum And then Miley So it's been a like a Jekyll and Hyde season so far For Wade Miley who's had sort of a Jekyll and Hyde career Because he's, he's not a hard thrower so, his first two starts this year, 11 shutout innings. His next three starts, he gives up eight runs. 
not completely terrible, but nothing special. And then he comes back and he, he throws a no-hitter. Eight strikeouts, one walk, one error, 114 pitches. There were 20 balls that were put in play. 15 of them were ground balls. What is so incredible about Wade Miley throwing a no-hitter is is just that. His whiff rate was only 19% in that game. His whiff rate on the year is only 22%, which is actually in the 23rd percentile at the ver- like towards the bottom. He's not someone who misses a lot of bats, and, and that's generally what kind of pitcher you are when you throw a no-hitter. But he got 15 ground ball outs, and he is just one of 20 pitchers in Major League Baseball to average under 90 on his fastball. Have a day, Wade Miley. Congrats there. So, recording this late Tuesday night, and the Dodgers have really, really been struggling. They were... Uh, fifteen and five, uh, five and fifteen over a twenty-game stretch. They did get a huge win on Tuesday night, and it feels like it, it's the kind of win that maybe can pick them up because they have uh, they've been dying to get to get a pick me up, something like this, something to change their mojo, their vibe, because they've been just a team started about thirteen and two, and I mean we were thinking about them as like one of the all-time greatest teams. Then some injuries hit, and they just started playing not very good baseball, to be honest. And, like that's just the easiest way of saying it. They've been playing crappy baseball, but tonight it was Lux. At a boy, Lux comes up with a big home run. So maybe this turns things around for the Dodgers. But let's talk a little bit about why they were struggling first. Okay, they had a two and eight road trip, a ten game road trip where they ended up going two and eight. In their two games that they won, they scored sixteen runs in one of the wins. And in the other win, they scored 14 runs. So they scored 30 runs in those two victories. In the eight losses combined, they scored a total of 19 runs. Untimely. The bats all come together at once, and then they're not there when you need them. Some really, really key things to look at um, with the Dodgers this year. It's It's been one of those weird like situations when you're going through a bad streak where... It's one thing after the next. One day the pitching performs, starting pitching is really good, and you lose one nothing, and then the bullpen gives a game away that you're up, and you, you keep getting runners on, and they and you can't score, and then later in the game it comes and bites you back. I mean, anything you could possibly imagine has happened to them, but unfortunately, the injury to Dustin May, Cody Bellinger, David Price, Gratterall, Corey Kniebel, and we haven't seen Tony Gonsolin yet, so they do have. Some legitimate injuries. They blew a big, a big lead to the Padres a couple of weeks back. They blew the other night that they, they were up four, 13 to nothing, and the game ended fourteen to eleven. They almost blew that game too. And I mean, it's just it's really hard to put your finger on. Uh, I mean, you look at the things they're struggling at: runners of scoring position. They're like last in the league and getting a runner home from um, from third. I think they're bottom four when there's a runner on second. So they're just, they're getting guys on. They just can't score. I, how many innings where they leave two or three or the base is loaded, get a leadoff runner on and can't do anything? And all that being said, they're still 19 and 17. And they're still a team with a plus 34 run differential, which is actually the second. 
third best in the league, only behind uh, uh, the White Sox, I think, and the Astros slightly. Like they're right in the mix with the uh, with the Red Sox, the Dodgers are. So, I mean, I'm not worried. It's just you see it happening over and over, and you just like can't can't help it. They won one game in a week, and five, they've had five losses in extra innings in out of a 20-game stretch. Just finding ways to lose there. The Dodgers. The Twins. Yeah, they keep struggling too. And keep in mind, the, the records and stuff that I'm going to mention are all accurate. Some of the, the statistics might be Slightly off because uh, they probably were formulated before some of the Tuesday night games, but the Twins are now twelve and twenty-one. They've lost five of six. They're like twenty-first in the league in ERA. They have seven losses by one run, three blown saves. Buxton is out. He had an incredible start to the year with nine home runs, seventeen RBIs, and five stolen bases, hitting three seventy. But he's only played more than a hundred games once. He's got a strained right hip, a grade two strain. They are in some trouble right now. They're already eight games behind the White Sox at uh, 12 and 21. Speaking of injuries, DeGrom with an injury. uh, He's had an unbelievable start to the year. 3-2 with a .68 ERA, 65 strikeouts, 7 walks, and 40 innings. But he missed a start because of an injury, came back, pitched 5 innings on Sunday, and then he had to take himself out of the game. The Mets, they're humming along. They've won 6 in a row now. They've won 8 of 10. And Stroman is pitching well with a 2-1-2 ERA. Walker has a 2-3-8 ERA. Carrasco's coming soon, so maybe they can hold down the Ford a bit if uh, if DeGrom does have to miss a little bit of time. They've got a game lead up in the NL East. Lindor starting to warm up. He had uh, a nice little stretch that was able to move his batting average up like 40 points. The Red Sox... Uh, they lost a couple in a row now. They've lost two in a row, but they've still won five out of eight. They still have a two-game uh, two lead in the American League East. They beat up on uh, Detroit and Baltimore over the weekend, uh, late last week and then into the weekend. And they are tw- yeah, 22-15 and 15 now. You know what you're going to get with Boston. When they're playing really well, they're going to outscore you. They scored 49 runs in a six-game stretch last week. They've improved on fan graphs, their playoff percentage, by 23.6%. That's the second most improvement of any team in the league so far this year. Number one in the league in batting average. Number one in the league in slugging percentage. Led by a really, really good core. J.D. Martinez hitting 338 with 10 jacks, 31 RBIs. Xander Bogarts hitting 348 with 7 home runs. Devers is hitting 281 with 8 home runs and 29 RBIs. I actually tweeted about uh, an article from Fangraphs about Devers. He's actually... Been unlucky so far. His expected batting average is actually 340. His expected on base percentage is 420. And his expected slugging is over 680. He's just been a little unlucky. Verdugo is hitting 297. Christian Vasquez is hitting 275. That's a pretty strong top five or so to have as like a nucleus of your batting order. And they'll try to outscore you. They are two games up, though, on a hot Yankees team. The Yanks have won three in a row. The Yanks have won eight out of ten. The Yanks are 13-5 and five since April the 22nd. Um, they are fifth in baseball in ERA with a 3.23 ERA. Kluber has had three straight really solid starts. Can he give them like a nice two-counter two, two counter 
to Cole over a 12-game stretch from April 23rd to May 6th. Giancarlo Stanton, he went 25 for 52 with three walks, six home runs, and 11 RBIs. He had a 509 on on-base percentage and a 904 slugging, an OPS of 1.413. Yankees on the move. Another team who's on the move playing some real good baseball, the Cardinals. They've won four in a row, eight and two in their last ten. Three-game lead in the National League Central. They had a stretch that was it was really important for them because they had uh, 14 games out of 17 at home and they won 13. They went 13-4 and four in that stretch. And that was able to catapult them to have a nice little comfortable three-game lead in the uh, National League Central. Some other news, uh, the Yankees had some COVID issues with some of their coaching staff. I think Phil Nevin. And there were also some COVID issues with Fernando Tatis Jr. who was placed on the injured list for health and safety protocols. Also Jurix and Profar and Jorge Mateo from the Padres. So keep an eye on them and uh, we'll see when we can uh, hopefully get you know them back playing. Just one more to mention, oh, those poor Royals. Those poor Royals. And they're free, free falling. The Royals have lost nine in a row. They are now 16 and 18. They went from having the best record in baseball to quickly being four and a half games out of first place in the uh, American League Central. So, not a good uh, last 10 to 12 days or so for those Kansas City Royals. We'll keep checking in on everything that's going on in baseball. We were able to bounce around and, uh, and keep you updated uh, as to uh, the major news and uh, who's been uh, playing well, who's been struggling a little bit over the last couple weeks. Let's get into some NFL with Eric E. Toff, 2-1 Sports. We're going to talk NFL draft with Eric, uh, but before we do, going to talk a little bit about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. The website, cindycarava.com. She can help you out in many different ways. As a full-service realtor, that means selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find vendors like handymen, painters, landscapers, gardeners that she personally uses in her own home. Maybe you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan. She can connect you with lenders that she's worked closely with and can highly recommend. And she covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you're curious to find out how much your home is worth. She can do a free market analysis of your home's value. Find Cindy on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, reviews on Yelp and Zillow. But the easiest way, cindycarava.com. That's the website where you get all the contact information for Cindy. So give her a look anytime you need any help in the world of real estate. We're going to give you some help as far as breaking down that NFL draft. Eric Etoff, 2-1 Sports, joins me. We're going to go through uh, the teams that he thought had a good draft, the teams that he thought uh, did not have a good draft. We'll tell you why. And then after, go through some uh, some picks that he thought were uh, were swings and hits. Some picks that he thought might have been a swing and a miss as we go through NFL Draft Recap with Eric Etoff, 2-1 Sports. Some thoughts on that NFL Draft with our good buddy Eric Etoff, 2-1 Sports, joining me here again on That's What G Said. So, Eric, we've had uh, well, about a week and a half or so now to, to kind of digest everything that went, uh, went down in the NFL Draft. You are um, a draft maniac. When it comes to the draft, as far as prepping for the draft, going over mocks, um, 
all sorts of wagers that you're putting on. You look at the draft as much as like, I think maybe anybody out there as much as anyone that I know. So uh, um, we had to get some of your thoughts afterwards. Uh, I'm sure you have uh, some strong opinions. So you want to do some, uh, some likes, some dislikes, and then maybe some overall picks that you, that you like throughout the draft. How's that sound? That sounds good, my man. Okay, cool. So let's start off with the uh, the positives. Who are some of the teams that you liked their overall draft, and you feel like they're going to be, uh, you know, heading in the right direction moving into this season, where the schedule is now uh, just getting released? I really liked what the Cleveland Browns did um, uh, last year. They showed in the game they obviously needed to address the defense with how easily the Chiefs moved up and down the field in that playoff game before Mahomes got hurt. They drafted Newsom, the big, strong, physical corner, great in press coverage. Then they got the linebacker, J.O.K., he's explosive, he can cover. And then they got a space heater in the middle, the kid from Ohio State. They really didn't do anything like like get that quote-unquote sexy type draft pick, but they got guys that are going to come in and immediately make that defense better. Yeah. Um, you know, they and then they got, oh, my God, I'm spacing on this kid's name, but they got a fast, a guy that's really fast in speed, fast in space, fast and operates well in space. And, the wide receiver, Schwartz, yep, yep, Auburn. Yep, yep, yep. And, I mean, getting that kid is a home run. I mean, give him ten, five to ten touches a game, and that is perfect for him. So I really like what they're doing. And as much as I hate Baker Mayfield, I'm talking myself more and more and more into placing a um, future on the Browns, which really upsets me. So, Just because um, I really like what they're doing. Mike Clay, who does a lot of the fantasy projections and stuff from uh, for ESPN, he's a does a really good job too. He's a so super nerd, really, you know, into a lot of the analytics and everything projections. He's got his own numbers that he makes, and um, he put out after the draft uh, a list of NFL unit grades altogether. So he ranked like every particular unit for every particular team now after some of their free agency moves and and basically what it looks like a, their full rosters will sort of be. So the team that is uh, number two overall is the team that you just mentioned, the Cleveland Browns. They are second ranked. Uh, they, they have the fifth overall ranked projected offense based on all of their units. They're projected to have the sixth overall defense. And when you combine the, the fact that they're really not weak anywhere, like the only unit grades that it has this team it, it, uh, and it's sort of a weakness are the interior defensive line, which is kind of... Kind of hard to really say because you you know you got Garrett and Clowney there who are just going to be wreaking havoc all over more on the edge, but those guys are part of that defensive front, you know. So even if the guys in the middle maybe aren't quite at that level with those two guys on the outside, you're going to be getting one on one. Sometimes nobody blocking you with team with everybody trying to double team to those those other guys. They they don't have a lot of weaknesses when you I mean, really look through them. Yeah, I mean their offensive line is great. Defense is heading in the right direction. It's it's their um, North conference to lose right now. I mean, I, I think put so them too. ahead of the Ra- the Ravens and the Steelers are way down next year. They've got the number one ranked running back unit. You know, their wide receiver unit is. Uh, I think they got him like top fifteen, but that's because you know Odell Odell's a question mark. That that could easily be like a top six or seven wide receiver unit if you got a good ODB here. Their tight ends are are very very solid with Hooper, Bryant, Joku, and Carlson in there. They've got the number one projected offensive line coming up this year as far as their edge rushers are concerned. Number one. Garrett and Clowney. I mean, that's unbelievable. And then the one of the spots that was a real weakness for them um, throughout the year last year, Eric, was in their secondary. 
You know, they couldn't cover and teams could go up and down on them. You know, they made some huge acquisitions. Now, now some of their cornerbacks, you got Denzel Ward, Troy Hill, Newsom in there now, uh, Williams and MJ Stewart. You go to their safeties, they're projected to be uh, you know, fine in that department too. Um, they're they're like a top ten team as far as the safety units are concerned, too. You bring in Johnson and Deppitt, Ronnie Harrison. Uh this is this is a team that There'll probably be a team that a lot of people like going into the year So right now is a good time to try to catch the better prices that you can anywhere There's just not a lot of negative to say They had a great year, Eric And and a lot of times it's like, this is how it goes in sports You have that year where you start to build Still a brand new coaching staff that can improve a lot You know, you talked about, you know, they had a chance to win that playoff game And they didn't, they maybe didn't uh, get coached necessarily all the best I think they're going to learn from that um, th- this is a really solid team heading into the year. And the big thing is, is everyone knows what Skavansky's going to do now, him being the man, the offense and everything. How is he going to adjust? How is he going to yep. adapt? Film on um, him now. Yep. And then also, like, we have to remember, Chubb missed, like, what, almost half the season last year? Yeah. So, I mean, that offense really wasn't as much as it could have been. I really think this this year we're going to really see Chubb even take more carries away from Hunt and be the alpha in the backfield, too. So, I really like... I'm going to be invested in this Cleveland team in fantasy and also for future betting. The Cleveland Brownies. We're going to be uh, talking a lot about them as the NFL season gets closer and closer. Okay, who else uh, had a, a good draft in uh, in your mind? Um, I really like what the Bears did. Um, they Justin Fields, for whatever reason, I'm sure there's going to be a 30 for 30, like five, 10 years from now, why Fields oh. fell. <laughs> exactly. Um, in my eyes, he was the second best quarterback in this draft. And we have to remember that when these guys came out of high school, Fields and, and Lawrence, it was always Fields was one, Lawrence was two, and people forget about that. Fields ended up going to Georgia. He should have never gone to Georgia. I really feel if he would have went to Ohio State and been the starter from the get-go, I mean, it would have been a coin flip who, you, who would have been the number one pick. I just really feel since Lawrence basically was the number one pick ever since that freshman year. Um, he could throw the ball down the field fast. He does have to work on some stuff, some reads, but that's a home run pick. And I'll give Ryan Pace credit. I mean, he blew trading up to get Trubisky and to have the stones to do it again. I mean, I'll give him all the props in the world. And then they got the versatile tackle Jenkins from um, Oklahoma State that's going to protect the blind side now. They drafted Brown from Missouri. And then later they got Graham from Oregon. So they drafted the needs from the cornerback. Offensive line got better. They got their quarterback of the future. The million-dollar question is now, since Nagy got the quarterback he's been demanding with a skill set, is Nagy actually the guy? Is he mm-hmm. actually the coach? I really have heavy questions about Nagy, like his lack of changing, not really change, diversity. Creativity. Like, creativity, right? that's the word. Yeah. He did, the, he did the same play calling first year and second Boring. year. Just... Um, he's just got to, yeah, he's, this is, like, if he doesn't do it this year, he's out. But, you know, Bears got their quarterback, and. You know, we'll we'll see what they do, and we'll see when they finally give them the green light. I kind of feel like just starting from day one, to be honest with you, just throw them to the wolves. But that's what I would do. Yeah, the um, the flyer that I think is a little interesting too is uh, is Herbert, the 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 back from uh, from Vod Tech, um, someone that they can kind of use as a dual threat. You know, get get a couple carries, maybe uh, use out of the backfield. Someone that who they may try to get the ball in in his hands a little bit. So. Um, 
yeah, you know, very. Uh, they've had a lot of bad kind of a lot like last couple years, bad publicity coming out of there, or negative with their picks, or some of the things they've done in drafts. But I think uh, a really solid year. Uh, also, would agree that uh, for the Bears. So the the second team that you thought did pretty well. I think we said we had maybe like five or six uh, of each of them. Who else? Uh, who else was uh, a positive in your end? The next team is the New York Jets. They got who they envision as their um franchise guy. I'm not a big Zach Wilson guy, but they evaluated him as their franchise quarterback. They went out and and got him. Next pick in the first round, they got your boy from USC Tucker, the guard, start building that line. Him and yep. back down your starting make that line stronger. Then they went and got Elijah Moore, the playmaking wide receiver from Old Miss to throw in the slot. And then I'm not high on Marker Carter. I think he's going to be more of a gadget player. I think he's a little bit too small to be a every down back in the NFL. But they got him, and then their big hole had been the back four. They drafted four DBs. So, I mean, if one of those hits, yeah. that's a success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, one one out of the four hits, that's a success. You know, they got they got some talent, and, like, they got who they envision their franchise guys, so you got you to give them a good grade for that. Yeah, and they're also like slightly a little different too. So you're gonna get you can get a little different look at, at them. They'll bring something a bit different. Um, Sherwood, uh, pretty tough from Auburn, and they they filled their needs. I think like very very solid. Can't be upset with what they did. Um, and and you know some of these teams like they needed a lot, and and they I think they did a really good job of every. They didn't seem like they like, they overreached. Necessarily, they filled their needs, but they also were able to get pretty good value on a lot of their picks. So, um, yeah, have to be uh, thinking positive for those Jets. The big Come- question with the Jets, though, is they have like God only knows what you're going to get with Lafleur calling plays, and so will as the coach. You like, you really just don't know with these first year coaches what you're going to get. And also, like, I'm not high in Zach Will- Zach Wilson, but we'll see if he's all that though. So we uh, continue along with some of the teams that had a good draft Before we get into some of the teams that we didn't really love what they did in the draft Uh, Who else did you like? Now, I'm not trying to be a homer here, but I loved what my Lions did I mean, in my eyes, they got Suell, who I, he got my highest draft grade I think this guy is going to be a bona fide Hall of Fame player I think he's going to be a consistent all-pro player And you're putting him into the line you're building from from the inside out Next two rounds, they got the two space eaters. They got a defensive lineman from Washington, who I graded number two on my board. And then they got McNeil from NC State, another space eater in the middle. And then they got the, I can't even pronounce it. Amon Ra, name. baby. Amon Ra, St. Brown. <laughs> Dude, he's he's oh. a good possession. He's not going to break your speed, but he's quicker than people Want to give him credit for He's not like he's slow And he's a big target He's tough He'll fight you for a touchdown And then he's one of those players that like If he if he has a game where He catches a couple passes like on the first drive He's going to score like two or three touchdowns He just yeah. is like that type of player you, fo- you like you find him early You focus on him He gets into the game He's a fun teammate They like him Um I, I think he's a, good, he's a great flyer Because he's got He could be a really good pro Oh, for sure. And I love the kid from Syracuse, the man, I can't even pronounce his name, the, the DB from Syracuse. I had him graded high. I have him graded as a starter. Middle I think Kalani, yeah. Gonna, yeah, he's going to come in and start two young DBs. Anyone could throw on the line on the Lions last year. You have Aaron Glenn, who's going to be coaching him up. I mean, they definitely are putting the pieces in, moving in the right direction. Also, the big thing to me is the fact they didn't draft a wide receiver. 
they realize that Goff isn't the long-term answer, which is a blessing in disguise. So they're just going to be building until they can get the franchise guy in the draft, either this year or next year. But I really like what they're doing. I really starting to think they're getting their talent in order. And also important to remember with the Lions, they have a top 10 offensive line now that's young. I mean, you're putting in Decker, Frank the Tank, Ragno at center, um, Taylor Deck, I already said Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson. I mean, they, they have the best line in the division and a top 10 line in the league. I mean, they're, they're building it the right way in Detroit, which is good to see for a change. We're uh, continuing on with Eric chatting all about the teams who had a good Drafts, NFL drafts a couple of weeks back As we, you know, all the things are happening Right around this time, uh, this week You're going to get the NFL schedule release You get a lot of uh, places releasing their Over-unders, in, and a lot Of people are doing sort of what Eric and I are doing Kind of going to end up going through with schedules Going to end up, um, you know, placing Some early over-unders uh, Doing some uh, some early future Wagers here, so we're going over The draft and continuing on with the teams that we Thought had really good drafts, uh, I think you Have uh, one or two more teams that you liked yeah, I before the the draft and everything before free agency, I I have my list of teams I liked for futures. The one future I put in was Chargers thirty one to one. Their draft made me like them even more. Somehow, Rashawn Slater fell to them, which is a blessing in disguise. He can play guard or tackle. That's going to make Eckler better, make our other wide receivers better, and more importantly, give Herbert more time his second year. Then in the second round, they got Asante Samuel. I mean, he's going to be their starting. They're starting um, slot corner. Great pick. I really wasn't a fan of the Palmer pick, but I like the McKitty pick. They got the Hunter Henry replacement. Edge rusher, who's going to come in and take over from um, Melvin Ingram, who left. They got the pieces they need, and they made a draft that says, hey, we're in a win-now mode, and that's why I like it the most. Most places that I looked have them graded as like A's to like high B's across the board. For their yeah. all, all three days of their draft Just nothing nothing bad Again another team that was just really really solid All around they filled the needs They you know because They're a team that uh, What's what's like the template Recently and, and probably one of the Easiest ways to win in the NFL When you have a young quarterback On that rookie contract right before you have To pay that quarterback if you Can have a quarterback that's young That's already good and you think that you can Win games with him I think we saw that Last year from Herbert um, You know he was way better than I had Ever thought he was going to be and he was Showing us stuff that he just didn't show us In, in college you got to try to Win right now because you don't want to you know, pick a bunch of projects and worry about. Yeah, you want to build with your young quarterback, but you don't want to worry necessarily about five years down the road when you have to be paying him. I mean, they did a home run job. I mean, they yeah. got the pieces around him. I mean, I can't think of anything negative to say about. I mean, I really am not a big fan of the Palmer pick. I really don't think a wide receiver is a pressing need, but I mean, I guess Mike Williams is always hurt. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. But that team is in a position to succeed. And we also have to remember, how many games did they blow last year? How many games were they winning and, like, something funky happened or they blew a lead? You know, they're Every time great, within seven, within eight points, within one great score. Great position. I mean, think about this. They should have beat the Saints. They should have beat the Chiefs. They should have beat the um, – who is other – the Buccaneers. I mean, they had a mil- – like, if they beat the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers probably don't make the playoffs because that's yep. when their sw- season turned. I mean, this team is an up-and-coming team, and I – I'm all in on them. I mean, I locked them in at 31 to one. I love them next year. Okay, Eric, did you? Uh, have I got yet? one more team. Um, okay. Now this team, like, I haven't really been seeing like a, them get a lot of love, but I really liked what they did. 
everyone thought they were going to draft quarterback, but as soon as they made the trade for Teddy Bridgewater, you could kind of tell, hey, it's going to be Bridgewater or Locke. Um, I love what the Broncos did. Uh, first round, they got Patrick Sertain, the cornerback from Alabama, who I had top of my board. He's going to be able to come in in the Vangelo system and lock it down. With how they play defense, they need a cornerback that can lock it down, and that's what he does. Great pick. I actually had Williams, the kid from North Carolina, as my top running back. I think in terms of pros, he's going to have the best pro career. Melvin Gordon's on his last year of his contract. He's on his way out. You're going to have a running back that can be explosive out the backfield and can catch the ball. Great pick for them. And then the third round, they got this kid from Wisconsin Whitewater, the interior offensive lineman, Mazir, who I had, I gave him a first-round grade. I mean, you're getting that guy at the third round, so you improve your offensive line. So whoever is behind quarterback is going to have more time. Got two safeties, Stern and Johnson, and then took two flyers on edge rushers to, to close it out in Cooper and Spencer. I mean, I think they this team, I mean, they quarterback is positions a nightmare, but at least they're getting pieces and definitely moving in the right direction, especially after all the offensive talent they got last year. I really like what they're doing there. They're not far away. They're a team that uh, is, is in a, you know, the the rumor for Aaron Rodgers, one of the the landing spots. If uh, if he's unhappy, or you know, they're a team that if if a quarterback in some situation somewhere gets unhappy, or uh, they are just they're to the point now where they're it's it's hard, right? You can't just you just don't go find these people. But they're they feel like they're a quarterback away from really contending. Like they're another team when you look back at them and you dig into some of their games over the last couple of years, they've been a lot more competitive than it would look at first glance when you just look at the records and even some of the scores of their games. Like they're in some of their games and then you get like a bad pick six and it kind of changes the complexion of everything. I don't know how well coached they have been over the last couple of years but they're not they're not a bad team they've not they've not been far off they just got to kind of got to got to kind of put it all together yeah they just got to piece it together i mean i was really high on them last year and i really feel Locke not having the the uh training camps with Shermer really affected them and really affected everything they were trying to do i mean and let make him break here for lot Locke. We're going to see if he's as good as everyone thinks he is or he's as bad as everyone says he is. You know, it's one or the other. So it's going to be an interesting team. Denver could be a team that kind of sneaks up on people this year. Let's get to the uh, the other side, the negatives. So uh, who who did we not like with what they did uh, through now, the uh, draft weekend? The team that I graded the worst is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I have no idea what the hell they are thinking or their thought process. You have a 40-year-old quarterback who can't move. Your offensive line was a weakness last year. Your first round, you drafted Harris. Now, fine, you want him to be the running back, but who's going to block? Who's going to get offensive that Offensive line. You know what I mean? The, what made Derrick Henry – Derrick Henry struggled his first year, his first couple of years in Tennessee. Everyone forgets that. But as soon as they signed – oh, my God, I'm spacing on the, the interior lineman who played for the Rams – he played for the Rams and went to Tennessee. I'm spacing on him. That's when he had his big breakout season. I mean, you got to get that push. And he's not going to have any push. Harris is going to struggle. Big Ben's not mobile. And there were offensive linemen on the board. And then the second round, you draft the tight end from Penn State. The offensive linemen they did get are developmental offensive linemen. And I don't even project them to start until a couple years. They still are learning the position. I just don't get what you're doing with a 40 year old quarterback. You got to be in a win now mode. And this, what they did, like, they're, this team is in a win now mode. I have been hammering Steelers under win totals, and I'm just keeping on doing that because I think this team's really going to struggle next year with that offensive line. 
Yeah, Pittsburgh. Uh, we'll see if their draft sort of matches the like what they need to do right now. We talk about needing to win now with a really young quarterback. Well, you don't have very many opportunities there with uh, with Big Ben. So um, the Steelers, one of the teams that Eric wasn't quite as high on. Who else uh, did we not love? Now I love Chris Ballard. I think he's one of the smarter GMs, but. I mean, I just, what they did, I really have an issue with. You signed Carson Wentz, excuse me, you trade for Carson Wentz, who has the yips? He's afraid to get hit. You have Darasol on the board, who didn't allow a sack when he was at Virginia Tech. When, I think he's going to be a 10-year pro, put him in blindside, and you draft an edge rusher, and then you come back in the second round and draft an edge rusher. You know what I mean? Like, your biggest need is left tackle. You didn't address it. I mean, granted, I know they got Eric Fisher, but Eric Fisher was cut for a reason. You know what I mean? It's not like Eric Fisher is this a savior. godsend that's going to save him. You had Darsal, who is, I think he's going to be better than Fisher next year, and you blew it. And the move from Wentz says, hey, we're going to try to win now, but this draft, to me, doesn't say we're going to win now. We'll see if the uh, the Colts will have enough up front to, uh, to protect Wentz, maybe they could have uh, made a better move or two here early in the draft. Eric has them as one of the teams that he didn't quite love. Who else as we move along on the the teams that we weren't as high on? Now, my buddy sent me this text message during the draft. He goes, I kind of feel like the GM is just following what NFL.com has as the Houston Texas biggest need. And he's just drafted that. <laughs> like he just, he, like, and like when you're watching this draft, you're like, yeah, I kind of feel that. They drafted that quarterback from Mims, that quarterback from um, Pac-12, Stafford. I mean, that, that guy started three games. And, I mean, I'm not, I have zero faith Watson is going to be starting the, the year next year. And that's the guy who you're going to be putting in with um, Tyrod Taylor. Like I hated you, that. Yeah, you're Mills, you're Mills from Stanford. Yeah, uh, I hated and they, that. they had such a they had such a a, a small uh, collection of picks too, right? They get they they had five picks for the their entire draft, and now like this team was bad. What the hell is going to happen with Watson? And you weren't able to like maybe get I don't know. I just I don't feel that like there's impact so... players right now on there. That team, their whole thing should have just been, hey, we're going to draft the best guy on the board because we have zero talent. I will give them credit because I really feel that Nico Callens, the wide receiver from Michigan, I think he's going to be a good pro. He's over six feet tall, go up and catch the ball. I love him. But I think that was just kind of by mistake how they drafted him. Every other pick, I'm just not a fan of. And this Texas team is, until they get new to ownership, it's kind of going to be the laughing stock in the NFL. They were in a spot where they just needed to get as many like uh, productive players as possible, and then they ended up trading up. They would have been a team that could have traded down and just continued to stack a little bit more. You know, like they need players that are going to help them win. They are not good, <laughs> and so the, I think it's going to be a long year for the Texans. And like you said, we have no idea what's going to be happening with uh, with Watson. Oh yeah, I, it's going to be. I don't think Watson plays at all next year. I mean, I think that team is a complete train wreck and. Honestly, if you're a free agent, why would you want to go there? Like, literally, why would you want to go to Houston? Like, so I think, yeah, it's going to be a long, 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 long time before Houston's relevant again. Okay, we're continuing on. Uh, I think we have uh, one or two more teams that you weren't really high on. Uh, who else did we not love? Um, I was high on this team going into last year. Um, I'm really disappointed with how their draft planned out. I, 
I'm just not a fan of what the Bengals did. I, your number one priority, okay? Joe Burrow set a record for hits and sacks through nine games for already rookie. hurt. Yeah, coming off a major injury. You could have drafted Penny Sewell, put him on one end, Jonah Williams, who is a top-rated tackle, top-rated player coming out a couple years ago. On the other side, you'd have two book on tackles for 10 years protecting Burrow. And instead, you picked um, Chase, the rookie, the, the rookie, the wide receiver from LSU. And here's the thing. Everyone thinks Chase is this big guy. If you look at his measurables from his pro day, he was six feet. He's not over, he's not over six feet tall. He takes routes off. And I just really feel he was good because he was bigger than everybody else and more physical than everybody else. I think he's really going to struggle in the NFL year and isn't the transcendent player that everyone thinks he is. And then in the second round, you take the offensive lineman from Clemson, who's not even a tackle. He's going to play guard. I mean, granted, they did get Smith from Eastern Carolina in the fourth round, but dude, he's like a couple years away. You need someone that's going to come in right away and protect Joe Burrow, and Smith isn't that. Plus, you draft a kicker in the fifth round. Like, who uses a fifth round pick on a kicker? on a kicker? Like, it's it not just, necessary. Like, it just, I just don't like what they did. I was high in this team. I just, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm really having a hard time with this team's thought process and what they did. And like, if Burrow gets hurt, think about that. If Burrow gets hurt again, I mean, this draft is going to be cast- catastrophically bad for them. I mean, it's just. Just a big fail for the Bengals in my eyes. I really don't like what they did at all, and I think they blew it. Which kind of brings me to my point, like, and I hate to tangent on this. No. But I was reading this thing about GMs that have the most success rate. And the GM that had the most success rate by far in the NFL was the guy from the Saints. And what do the Saints do every year? They just draft in the first round the best player on their Best player available. And I don't understand why teams – don't do that more, okay? If you're going to have two good running backs, two good tackles, whatever, good coaches, good teams, figure it out. Like, if I was a GM, that would be my new thing. Like, hey, best player on the board, first round, second round, that's me. And that's kind of made me change the way I'm going to, you know, you and I are in the same fantasy football league, but um, <laughs> it's, it's going to, it's, I'm going to change the way I draft fantasy football now after watching this draft. Because you, you and I, everyone, everyone does it. There's a running running backs. I have the tenth pick. Oh, I'm gonna panic. Take a run. Take, I don't know, Swift. I'm just throwing out a name with the tenth pick. When I have Hopkins still on the board, you know what I'm, I mean. I'm just I'm gonna take the you, best player. I, I and I think one of the positives of being in a bunch of different leagues is just feeling like okay, I'm gonna try something a little different in this league just to give it a shot, you know. And every time I do that, my teams are the best. Every time I just pick the best player available, I just say, okay, who's on my board here? No, that's just, I don't care. That's that's too early for what I have projected. I can get somebody else a little bit better here. You know, it's just like, I, I think you're always better off picking the best player available. And you can fill a need in the middle of the season sometimes. You can find your holes. Sometimes you don't even know what your holes are until you get on the field. Yeah, right? you, have, yeah you have no idea. And like, it just, people are bad-mouthing the Saints for this pick Turner in the first round. I mean, with how much that guy's been successful, he's not going to make that pick unless he knows he's a good, a good, a good player. So, I mean, that's that's my biggest takeaway from the draft: is first two rounds, take the best player and just move on and figure it out. Um, one other team that I didn't like, like what the hell are the Raiders doing? It's like death taxes and the Raiders reaching for picks. I mean, they take Alex Leatherwood with Darcel still on the board. 
Leatherwood was someone you could have gotten the third or fourth round, and you take him. I oh, mean, I just – it just – this is three years in a row that Mayotte, who's supposed to be this quote-unquote draft expert from back in his day at NFL, in my eyes, has just flipping blown it. Like, rugs last year, the – um oh, my God, the secondary guy are not from Ohio State. Just picks, and you're just, like, stretch, like stretching your head, like, what the hell are you doing? And then they had how many? They had seven picks, and it was three out of the seven. They all picked the same position. So it's like, like, what are you doing? Like, I get it if you want to do one or two, but they picked three safeties. Like, that doesn't even make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like, what are you trying to do, like, with, with the holes that they have in that team? We'll see how many more years uh, uh, old Gruden has over there before they start feeling a little pressure or um, I mean, who knows? Like they've they were every, the last couple of years. They, they are competitive. They have these great starts. Then they fall off a cliff. And then it seems like the same thing with the draft comes up. You scratch your head a, a couple times at their picks. And it's not always that the player they pick is like a bad player, but it's, it's sort of like what we're talking about. They end up going Way like it's like they've they're they're looking at it like okay uh, I want that player we're not gonna have a chance to get um him, another pick before he's off the board so instead of like moving down a little bit or doing something that would make better sense we're just gonna pick him way higher than he should be picked yeah it's like they're trying to be the smartest person in the room when you don't need to be the smartest person in the room and like, it's, it's you know what in football too. It is a lot different than in like basketball, you know, like in basketball, you're, you want to take a little bit more chances, higher upside guys, you know, you, you don't have all these picks every single year. So the times that you do have picks and you do have higher picks in football, it's like, you're always going to be able to need guys in the fifth, sixth rounds to help you on your roster. It's such a damn big roster. You need those guys everywhere. So just pick the player you have the highest rated. That you really think can come in and 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 really help you, unless you're totally in a situation where you're looking for projects. You know, we understand Miami last year they were taking a shot. Like there are unique situations where we go, okay, it makes sense for them to draft young. Um, most of the time, though, give me the best player available for the the, the position. Like I just, I, I that's something that I've I've been banging that drum for a long time, and I I know you have too. And uh, you, you know, we can see it with just sort of the way that we. We we uh, analyzed the uh, the drafts and with the teams that we liked the teams that we liked and we don't know right one one the, dude, that's the thing about a draft you don't know all these projections and sometimes we can be dead wrong on a lot of them but it's like you just don't feel like there were a lot of um like a lot of misses with the with the teams that you really liked you feel like okay good that was a, a filling a need getting one of the better players available other teams that we look at and scratch our head we're going eh they're reaching really reaching just to fill a need. Yeah, it's like, it, it just goes back. The best people figure it out. If you have two people at the same position, figure it out. If they're both good, it curates trade capital. You know what I mean? It just, I don't know. Like the whole, it, it just blows my mind. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? And then you have the Steelers who draft Harris, which is great, but there's going to be no push. So he's not going to be able to get any yards, especially you play that Cleveland defense two times a year. You play that Ravens defense two times a year. You know what I mean? It's like, and you have the first place schedule, like Jesus, like what the hell are you thinking? It just, it just doesn't make sense for me at all. So, uh, Eric, I think you said you had a few other picks in particular that you liked. Yeah, um, picks I liked. I, um, I won't 
like if they're my draft winners, I won't like, obviously I like Sewell and the Broncos yeah. pick, but um, I really like a couple first round picks. I like, I really like what the Cowboys did traded back. And then they had got Micah Parsons. Who's great linebacker. I know he had his off the field issues, but he's going to come in. He's going to be a starter. He's going to be all over the field. I think that's a great pick for them. That's actually someone, if Sewell was off the board, I wanted my Lions to get. Um, Titans, their big weakness was the back four. Um, oh, they were so brutal last year. We played against them oh, so many God. times with anybody oh, that could God. throw. Like, oh, yeah. And they got Farley. I know he's had a back surgery, but he's projected to come back fine. So him coming in, he's a huge upgrade over what they had there last year. Love that pick. Richie Grant was my top-rated safety. Falcons were able to get him in the second round. I really, really, really like that pick. He's going to be able to come in right away and impact that Falcons back four, which was a weakness. Um, Panthers drafted Marshall, the wide receiver for um, from LSU, Terrence Marshall. And we have to remember, who is the offensive coordinator for the Panthers? Joe Brady. Who called plays at LSU where Marshall went to? Marshall is going to lead the Panthers in red zone targets next year. That's my prediction. That is a great pickup for him. Big physical guy can go up and catch the ball. And the thing with him, if you look at him over the course of his career at LSU, it was the primetime games he thrived at. Like the regular, I'm playing Arkansas Arkansas at noon on the SEC network. You know, he really didn't show up. But that that feature game on CBS, the 8 o'clock game on ESPN, he balled out. So that's something to remember for DFS. And I will give the Bills credit. Um, they really, their main thing last year, and I said it, is they kind of need to improve the way they're built and built them, build themselves up to beat the Chiefs. And one of their big weaknesses was being able to get to the quarterback. And their first two picks, they took two Edwards wrestlers, one from Miami, one from Wake Forest. Uh, Rasusi, I told no, I not butchered that name. Tall, physical guy, one-year wonder. You know, he's got everything, but you don't know if it's just been one year, if he's really going to be that guy. And then they got Basham from Wake Forest. If one of those guys hits, that's a home run draft for him because they're going to be able to create pressure on the homes. So I really liked those picks. I really think, like, it really a talent that fit a need. Um, some picks I didn't like. I really – I don't like Trey Lance going to the 49ers, and here's why. If you make a trade to move up to, to number three in the draft, that tells me you have a plan, okay? But with all the changes that were coming out, did they really have a plan? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're going to get Jones. We're going to get Lance. We could get Fields. We have five guys. We're like, good teams make that move when they know who Decisive. they Decisive. Yeah. They know why they're making the move. And I said this last time. If Shanahan doesn't win now, he's going to be a coordinator in a couple of years. Lance is still a developmental guy. He's not ready to come in and start right away. And if the 49ers struggle, there's going to be pressure for him to come in right away. Everyone gives John Lynch props for these picks he makes. But if you look at his success rate, like generally you want to be over 30% when you draft for success rate in the draft. He's under that. And when he made that trade, like with the Bears, like the guy he got, Wilcox, he's already out of the league. So, I mean, I think Lynch kind of gets a pass for that Trubisky trade he was able to pull off. But I really don't like like the Lance pick. Um, another pick I'm not a fond from for the first round. I don't – what are the Giants doing? You draft Tony, the kid from um, Florida. He's going to be your fourth um, wide receiver. 
your fourth wide receiver in the first round with Darisol still on the board. You could have drafted him, had him and Thomas be your bookend tight ends and protect Daniel Jones from getting hit. Um, so that really doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why you did that. I also didn't like the Arizona pick of Collins, the linebacker. I think they could have got him at the second round. I really think they should have gone DB there because, I mean, you're going to be playing Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford for 25% of your games. I really yeah. I really don't. That that just doesn't make sense to me. And then also, I don't mean to throw your boys under the ground, but what the hell are they doing? They drafted underside ride. They don't have a first-round pick. Their first pick, they drafted the under um, undersized wide receiver. I mean, if you can – if you're an NFL starting wide receiver and I can curl more than you, you're not going to make it. And I just, I don't like that. Five, pick. nine, one fifty five. Yeah. I'm yeah. not kidding. I weigh more than that. Like and I'm, that's, I'm like the little, I'm that's, that's like my size. And I'm <laughs> like, and it's not like, but the thing is, it's not like, like when you look at your boys, the Rams we're talking about, I don't see wide receiver as a glaring need. They picked need. up Van Jefferson last year to replace Cooper like Cooper Cup, who they re-signed. You got Bobby Trees. Like, you don't need another wide receiver. No. You have, you're like tight end you, so your position players are fine. You got Akers. You need time. Like, Stafford can't be taking hits, dude. You the, need to be building him the up. line has been horrible, and the defense is really solid. Like, they've got the playmakers on both sides of the ball um, on, like, they, on, on the defensive end and, and the defensive front. Like, I just... I agree. It's it was a little bit disappointing. It was a head scratching. Yeah, they're again. They're a team that needs like. Is this going to be someone that is going to do all that much for Stafford right now? I I don't know. Like this this was more of a flyer for like a younger team that that could maybe catch lightning in a box. Like I I don't I didn't love that that pick for the Rams either. Yeah, and it's like like I said, certain teams like I felt the Chargers draft screamed, "We're trying to win right now, and that's what we're going to do." I feel that that's the position that the Rams are in right now, but the draft the Rams had had didn't tell me that. And it all started with that first pick. That was one of the picks I hated the most. Eric, Etoff 2-1 sports. Oh, and I oh, forgot one. Oh, my no, God. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I forgot one. I mean, this wouldn't be me coming on your show unless I bashed the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. The Jadal, the, the Waddle pick. Like, you ha- you're drafting a wide receiver that, stre- that stretches the field and you have a quarterback that doesn't throw deep. I don't understand how that makes sense at all. Now, granted, I understand what they're doing. They want to put as many weapons as they can and put Tua in a situation to succeed. But he didn't, he's not but, really the, per- like what his best skills are are not necessarily the best skills for Tua. Yeah, exactly. And he's basically... A smaller version of Will Fuller, like that's what just didn't make sense to me. He uses his his body to catch the ball. Waddle is really low on my draft board. I just I don't know. I just don't like that pick at all. I think they should have gone offensive line. Just you know, just keep building offensive line and giving him Tua time to succeed. Obviously, with Tua's skill set, the wide receiver that probably would have been the best if they went to wide receiver was. Smith, but after Smith made those comments that Mark Jones is better than Tua, you can't draft that guy, you know. So I just, I, I don't like that pick at all. And it's like they traded back, then back up to get Waddle. I don't know. I just, that just doesn't sit well with me. 
Erica We hear him talking NBA with us uh, Every week We talk uh, NFL when the season starts And Eric is uh, probably the voice that you hear most on this show Other than me uh, Always working really hard And you can find him uh, on social media With a, a couple good places uh, to follow So let us know again uh, Where do we follow you online Twitter, Instagram, website, podcast All the good stuff um, I am at etalk21sports on Twitter, at etalk21sports underscore on Instagram, my website, etalk21sports.com. I'm in the middle of moving. I'm moving. I forgot how big of a bitch moving is. Once oh, yeah. I get, once I'm done moving, um, I'm going to start this thing. It's going to be on the website. It's called, it's going to be Wednesday Winners. I'm just going to be picking some random guy that you could get in the sec, late second, early third round. Or later on, that's going to help you win a fantasy football league. That's going to nice. be the next the next thing I do. That's going to come out every Wednesday. Podcast is going to be coming out. Um, it's going to come out every Saturday. Going to have an NHL preview on there, um, and we every week we do a NASCAR preview. We didn't get a winner last week, but I think we've gotten six out of twelve winners so far this year. So which is pretty good. Between uh, Eric's show and that's what G said. I mean, some of the some of the the sports that I don't cover here. You're going to hear from Eric He does a lot of uh, of NASCAR like he said um, he'll, Even you know, women's basketball When it's going on So you get you will get covered so many different sports Different topics and stuff uh, That's always one thing that we love chatting with you about Eric is uh, we just hit the NFL draft And uh, now I'm sure we're going to have a lot of basketball To talk in the next uh, week, week and a half With the playoffs coming up So thank you so much buddy uh, We'll be talking to you again real soon Alright sounds, sounds good man Talk soon I'll make sure to give Eric a follow all over the place there with uh, all sorts of great information from uh, from Eric. So we will continue on here with plenty more on That's What G Said. Don't go anywhere. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years. Studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even... Easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to DRF.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic pass performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF pass performances. You get an interactive format, which is... Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. 
multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. Great to hear from Eric talking NFL draft. And uh, you heard after that about DRF, DRF.com. That's got to be your, your one-stop shop. Anytime you're handicapping the races, anytime you need information, past performances, if you plan the Preakness this weekend, you get all the packages that you need. Uh, if you need past performances, selections, uh, clocker reports, you name it, they've got it for you there at DRF.com. So I mentioned for me, a lot of my focus this week is going to be at Stable Duel. Um, I'm going to be, be playing a lot into the Stable Duel contest, and I think they'll get more. Uh, they will get my bankroll, and and not necessarily playing a lot of the races myself uh, at Pimlico. So I'm going to talk about the schedule. I'll give you some horses I like on the Friday undercard at Pimlico, and then we'll get into the conversation about everything going on with Medina Spirit uh, with Andrew following that. So Wednesday parks. Two different contests for you at Stable Duel. Now remember, what is Stable Duel? These are the daily horse racing contests. They're on an app. The app is completely free to download. You pay the entry fee for each contest that you want to enter. So on Wednesday, it would be 10 bucks to enter one of the parks contests. There's also a $500 double-up contest. And at Thistle Down, they have a $5 contest. There's also a $25 contest at Penn. And it's all on Wednesday. Parks, Thistle Down, and Penn. Then on Thursday... Golfstream has two different contests you can play in, a $10 and a $100. Pimlico has the Pump the Preak presented by ClassicCars.com. It's a $50 contest. The winner gets a free entry into the Preakness game, and there are $1,500 in cash prizes for the payouts in that game. There's also a Preakness Bank Builder Double Up, a $250 contest you can enter and double your money up. There's a game at Lone Star for only 5 bucks to enter. There's a game at Golden Gate that's a $25 triple-up format. And at Charlestown, there is a free ride. On Friday, we've got Gulfstream with a $5 contest. Pimlico with the Pump the Preak presented by Classic Cars. You get the winner into the free entry on Saturday. Preakness game, $50 to enter that contest on Friday. You get the bank bull, uh, the, another Preakness bank builder on Friday, double-up. There's a $2 Lone Star game. There's a Golden Gate game that's 7 bucks to enter, a Santa Anita game that's 10 and then the Santa Anita $100 triple up. And then the big game uh, of the week, of the weekend, it's the Preakness Challenge brought to you by ClassicCars.com. $100 to enter, 20000 in cash prizes. That's what I'm going to be shooting for this week. Um, I'm going to be very happy to support my friends over at Stable Duel and, uh, and put some of my money over there. So we'll give a look to that. If you don't want to get involved in that game, there's a free ride at Pimlico 2. There's a Preakness Double Up. There's a Santa Anita contest. That's only a dollar. There's a $25 Santa Anita. There's a $10 Golfstream. And then on Sunday, you've got Golfstream, Lone Star with a free ride. Golden Gate with a $2 contest. Santa Anita's got a $50 and $100. And those Golfstream contests, they're $25 and $10 entries. So think about it. Parks, Thistledown, Penn, Golfstream, Pimlico, Lone Star, Golden Gate, Charlestown, Santa Anita, all throughout the week, all the different options for you for the stable dual contest. So, uh, Pimlico, if you want to uh, go through the uh, Friday card, let's look at the uh, 
the past performances for Pimlico for Friday. Uh, as I mentioned, just I'm just kind of bummed out with everything and, and, and how it's all been going down. So I'm not going to be playing a whole lot this weekend, um, but I will be. I did handicap the races, uh, and I, I did you know decide on on some horses that I will be uh will be using in, in my stable dual plays. Let's go to race number eight if uh, the uh, Alaire Dupont. I did think the three spices night is, is going to be a uh, very logical around that price uh, of seven to two or so. Dream a little dream of you if you're looking for more of an outside the box horse horologist. Miss uh, Danvers, um, get rid of what ails you. They'll all take some money there. I prefer the two and the three though as horses to kind of key around in that eighth race. In the ninth, the uh, the very one five furlongs on the turf. I did think the six, if there was anyone that had a shot to steal the race, Queen of Shades. The eleven is very logical, though. I think it's a good spot for Dixie in Candyland. So uh, six eleven would be uh, the horses I looked at um, to either use in my lineup or playing in exotics. However, you're playing on Friday. In the tenth, the Miss Preakness. I would lean towards the outside with Joyful Cadence, who she did get hooked wide last time out, and maybe she gets hooked wide again, but. She's improving, and I think as long as she doesn't get that like four wide trip, she was just the widest of all, all the way around of all the major contenders. And she will have the opportunity to flip the uh, flip the results on a horse like Abrogate, who recently raced in the Eight Bells. The seven inject would be the other one I uh, included here. Um, so nine and seven would uh, would be the two for me in the the Miss Preakness in the Hilltop. I do like Miss. Uh, Mia Marina Mia, I was going to say Miss Marina And then I said Mia Marina And it's Mia Martina Who is A little bit better than she looks on paper uh, Go check out her first couple Her two, first two starts They were both really good Really visually impressive turf wins And then she tried the grade 3 Florida Oaks And she didn't run poorly that day She actually was just, just a little bit too far back And she started moving late she finished fourth in a race where Jouster was second. Jouster came out of that race to win the Grade Two Appalachian, and Jouster ended up beating Giftlist in that race, who came back to win the Edgewood. So she kept company with some pretty nice horses. That race is is better than it looks. I think it's a good spot for Mia Martina to get back to the uh, the grass. They just took a complete shot on the dirt in the Gazelle last time out. So the six, uh, Mia Martina. In race number 11 at Pimlico And uh, the 12th race Which is the, the Pimlico special This is a kind of a fun race to handicap Pretty strong race here uh, for a grade 3 The 2 Fearless uh, Is really rounding nicely into form No doubt the horse to beat in here If you're looking for more of a price type I do think Enforceable has shouldn't have any problem With the distance, should be able to run all day Kind of a weird race for him last time out Where he looked like he was going to drop back And be completely out of it and then he started to get into a nice stride and, and really came on again down towards the inside. You'll see in the running line, it was, it was bizarre. Go back and check that race out. 2 4 11. Uh, I think some of the, the logicals, I could, I could absolutely see versions of this race where Last Judgment tries to steal it on the front end. And then you get to the Black Eyed Susan, uh, mile and an eighth for the three year old Phillies. I just thought it was towards the outside and, and like super logical horses. I mean, Baffert's going to be really tough in, in here with, with Beautiful Gift. And, uh, and Johnny V, beautiful gift came out of the Santa Anita Oaks is a, a grade three winner in the Santa Isabel prior to that was runner up behind Soothsay. The two horses to the inside, the grass is blue, taking the blinkers off, adventuring. I mean, so we're, we're talking about, you know, Baffert, Johnny V, Chad Brown and Irad Ortiz Jr. and Brad Cox and, uh, and Florence Rowe. So very logical horses, very logical connections. Nothing I'm going to tell you that that's outside the box there. 
in the uh, the Black Eyed Susan at Pimlico on Friday. Before we get to the conversation with Andrew, where we talk all about Medina Spirit and Baffert and everything that's gone on, all the news over the last couple days, we want to talk to you a little bit about Old Smoke Clothing This is the place for you horse racing fans. Quality clothing and merchandise that those who love the atmosphere and lifestyle of racing will enjoy. We're talking high quality products rooted in the iconic symbols of racing and the racetrack experience. Old Smoke is literally named after Old Smoke John Morrissey, the founding father of Saratoga, who was just this crazy crazy character who was like a bare knuckle boxer, cargo thief, a gang member, brothel bouncer, political enforcer. Heck, he was in both Congress and the New York State Senate and he created Saratoga. This is who they've named their company after. These are people who love horse racing and at oldsmokeclothing.com you can find anything you need as far as horse racing quality, quality clothing and merchandise. They have custom designs available, so if you're interested, make sure to look at their custom designs and when you use a promo code GINO, it will get you free shipping on your order from Old Smoke Clothing. We're talking t-shirts, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats with horse names, big races, slogans. Show that horse racing fan in you. Promo code G-I-N-O. No shipping on your order. We close it out with Andrew Champagne and uh, a good friend. You've heard Andrew on this show. Heck, almost every episode for the last uh, last year or so really started coming on a lot um, during the pandemic, helping us out with the old wrestling rewatch, and then it's kind of branching out anytime we need uh, we need someone for something. And this is a conversation about everything that's happened over the last few days. We got the word late Saturday night; rumors were swirling that Medina Spirit tested positive, the Kentucky Derby winner for a substance that was not supposed to be uh, in his system. On race day And everything that's happened since then Bob Baffert came out and had uh, Interviews Sunday morning and then after that He had interviews basically All over the place over the next Couple days where uh, all sorts Of different media outlets um, Said a lot of different things Andrew helps me just kind of React to everything Uh, We're very honest we're kind of Disappointed as fans of racing We give you our feelings Lots of things that are swirling around in our head It kind of bounces here and there But we try to cover everything that's gone on Over the last couple of days Andrew Champagne helping me out here uh, Talking about a, a situation that to be honest It's not fun to discuss I wish we were spending more time handicapping these races And not getting into all of this But I think I, I do think it's something that needs to be addressed And uh, we're going to address it right now Here on That's What G Said Andrew Champagne helping out So recording this on Tuesday night uh, May the 11th And you know, you're gonna probably hear in my voice a lot uh, this week in, in some of the shows. I'm I'm a little a, a little sad, a little bummed out as someone who is a big time horse racing fan. I know a lot of you who probably follow me and listen to this show have seen me through the years working on TVG, working in different places covering racing. That was probably where um, I, I gained the the, the most uh, uh, people following and, and and tuning in for shows like uh, uh you know one like this with the Preakness coming up and a big weekend, but. I just got a, a little bit of a different feel with everything that's happened. Um, Medina Spirit, Kentucky Derby winner, testing positive for a substance, and this, and this is all like an ongoing situation. Andrew Champagne is going to join me to talk about it. You hear Andrew here on a, that's what G said each and every week. Uh, Andrew's one of my best friends. We 
we bring him on for I mean at literally everything any anytime we need someone uh, the old wrestling rewatch all the time handicapping stuff but this isn't I mean this isn't going to be one of our more fun conversations unfortunately Andrew we we've had a few of these through the couple years now man can you believe it I think uh, we're c- coming up on 200 episodes of that what that's what she said um, wow uh, in like a week or two I think we're in like the 190s now but um. We've had a few of these, you know. We've had your uh, your your plan to save horse racing that we turned into a podcast. We had a, a podcast where you and I talked with John Stetton when um, a lot of the issues came out with uh, about about service and Navarro. Um, I guess it was right before the pandemic, a, a little over a, a year ago. Um, and this is just another unfortunate reason for for me to have to bring you on. I love talking with you, but I wish it was in in more of a positive light about horse racing. Bob Baffert, basically the most well known face figure. In, in all of horse racing, we're not, I mean, jockeys, trainers, owners, you name it, he's the one that is the most recognizable that everybody knows. And he has not been someone, especially in recent years, that's had the squeaky clean type record. And, and now again, um, there is a, a, a kind of a black mark on a, a big racing weekend that this really kind of started, I guess, was it Saturday night when all the rumors started coming out? Um, that 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 there was something, and then Sunday morning was when he first addressed it himself on the backside over at Churchill Downs, and I think that was something that I, I found kind of weird right away. How come he was the first person to address this, and we didn't hear about it from um, either someone at the track, someone representing racing in any way, shape, or form? There's a lot that's really strange with regard to... And we're going to go around in a circle, too. We're we going to try to hit on a lot of different things, and I'm sure we'll zig and we'll zag and stuff. And and we're both going to be, like, objective and fair. This isn't, like, a, a hit piece or anything, but I think, um, you know, I, I have a hard time, like, spinning this in any positive way. I'm never going to be someone that, that w- would do that, and I think we're all a little too intelligent to try to pretend, like, um, you know, the dog ate the homework excuse over and over again is going to suffice here. That's true. Now, there are going to be two things that I want to get out of the way right now. The first thing that I would like to stress to everybody listening, Gino and I are not vets. We can't tell you what certain substances do or don't do. Nope. What we are are lifetime horse racing fans, people who are passionate about communicating the game to others at various levels of expertise. We can talk to high-level handicappers. We can talk to people that are coming to the racetrack for the first time. We can accurately tell you from a communications PR marketing standpoint a lot about the way this is going down. None of it's good. The second thing, and I'm just going to get this out of the way right now because it pisses me off. If you have a problem with this race, because Bob Baffert has a history of medication positives, because there was a medication positive with Medina Spirit, whatever. That's fine. If you are up in arms about this race because you didn't have Medina Spirit on your tickets, shut the hell up. Yeah, no, I, I, I can, I can definitely get on board with for that. You? I can, I can get on board with yeah. that. Because we've, because, and, and Andrew's not saying that the, the, the 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 process with with the way this happens in racing is wrong, right? Like, is it crappy that how many times 
We've probably lost to a horse in our life That ends up getting DQ'd For uh, some sort of a medication issue Months down the line And of course we as the betters get nothing back That's that's really crappy I, I think the point he's trying to hit Is that this this is got to be more and, and as a customer we get screwed We're going to be upset But I think this is more so um, For the people that are, are like upset by this This is because This is not a first time thing That this happens this is an incident that has happened repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly with someone that is uh, one of the biggest, the, the biggest face in, in all of racing. Um, Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm happy you expounded on that. It's a case yeah. where, yes, we're all handicappers. We're all looking for the edge. We all care about the horse. Without the horse, there is no game. A lot mm-hmm. of people talking about how, oh, without gamblers, there's no game. Da, da, da. Without the horse, there is no game. Without the horse, there are no gamblers. Without the horse, there are no owners. There are no trainers. There are no jockeys. There are no grooms. There are no hot walkers. There are no racetracks. There is no industry. So let's focus on the horse issue first and foremost. And we can iron out the betting stuff later. Because there is betting stuff that we can iron out. But if you're solely in this because you had Mandaloon, I got a bridge to sell you. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I and I get I get the gripe for all the people who had Mandaloon. I totally do because this has happened to me previously. And I'm and I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying don't be mad or don't be upset. But I think this situation with what happened in this race, right? This this like to me, what makes this situation so much different than if this were to have happened in um, the Arkansas Derby, like we've seen it, or in other races, is just the Kentucky Derby. This being that race, that's sort of like um. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, even in a world uh, a world where I'm still um, cynical and, and a little dejected sometimes with things that happen, like that's a race that I think a lot of us kind of lip up, lift up and and uphold because no matter what, it's just not an easy race to win. Um, it, it's this this is just something that's been going on for for such a long time, and I think you know the people. To me, what what's so uh, upsetting about this, Andrew, too, is like you know I'm I'm someone who. Um, I was working at TVG. I could have uh, kind of kicked back there and had a pretty good job on air for the rest of my life. Pretty, pretty cushy, nice paycheck, and uh, and things would have been fine. I I didn't love what was happening, partially at TVG uh, and partially in the like the industry as a whole. And what I ended up having to do, which was a very difficult decision in my life, right, was making a a a, a really important choice. To leave a place I wanted to be forever Leave a a life like an industry A a life that was completely 100% in the horse racing industry To put myself in a position where I was going to be here Hosting a show where I could still talk a lot About racing cover racing how I Wanted to but I didn't have to worry About like having a conversation like you and I Are having right now that we would never be able to have Being completely honest with people Um, And now I also get to talk baseball, basketball, football, wrestling with you, cover a little bit of everything like I like. It's one of these things that a lot of us who have been in the horse racing industry for a while, we love it. We've always been promoting it and pushing it hard. But I I can't say that many of us are really surprised when we see something like this happen because for a while we've seen the writing on the wall and it comes from the top down. It starts with the leadership. How many times does somebody get in trouble and they get fined 150 bucks, 500 bucks? Like – we look at the fines afterwards and we say what happens I think um, It's uh, you know you'll, you'll probably hear some sadness in, in both of our voices And I'm you know I'm not like uh, Some holier than thou and that's why I, I never came out and said I'm not ever Betting again or I'm not doing that See you I am tomorrow gonna, Yeah because I am going to play uh, this, and When it comes to this weekend 
I'm not going to play very much. I'm going to play a couple stable duel contests because I have some good friends over there and I don't want them to have a, a struggling weekend because they didn't do anything wrong. And I hope some people will still continue to play their contests and I'll help them try to pump that. I'll handicap some of the races and put what I would put my bankroll into, into that. And there are other people that I feel bad for, cause this is going to be a struggling week and uh, I'm going to go on a couple other people's shows and it's going to be, it's difficult to talk about because like you said, you and I aren't vets. I'm, I don't like talking about this stuff. I'm not afraid to address it because it's real. I think we all have to, but I would much rather be doing what you and I and Darren are going to do in a few minutes after this and handicap the preakness and just go horse by horse. Like that's what we enjoy doing. Um, it's, it's really unfortunate. So let's kind of go through it a little more too, Andrew. So Sunday we get the first interview. And I think one of the things um, that we, we kept asking was if nobody's made an official statement, I, I think, why were we hearing so much from Bob? I'm, I don't know if that was something that people told him to do or not to do and whether you agree with what he did or not. I think it didn't look very good for horse racing when Bob was um was on a lot of different shows and in a lot of different, you know, very high profile media outlets um and and he didn't really have like a good story and 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 a story that kind of continued to change. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot about this that I don't like. There's a lot as far as oversight on a national level that isn't there. If you add, say, a track and field case, say a a Ben Johnson case where he tests positive in a gold medal 100-yard dash race, okay? What you have is a press conference held by the organizing body. They say what happened. They control the narrative. Bob Baffert, instead, is the first voice that we hear Because his point of attack was, okay, control the narrative, figure out what's going on, and try to get the first shot in in what's undeniably going to be a lengthy public relations battle. Now, from a PR standpoint, it's a smart move. You always want to be on the offensive when you can. The problem is Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday brought three different stories in three days. And we'll get to that, okay? We will absolutely get to that. However, I'm going to hold some people's feet to the fire on this. Wouldn't it be nice if we, if that's the six worst words in the English language right there that I just said, wouldn't it be nice if we dot, 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 nothing good ever comes out of that, by the way, I challenge anybody to prove me otherwise. Wouldn't it be nice if we had an organization whose goal it was to promote thoroughbred racing on a national level? a National Thoroughbred Racing Association. Gino, it is currently Tuesday, May 11th. I am looking at the NTRA's news section with their news releases. You know how much I'm seeing about Medina Spirit's positive test? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I see Kentucky Derby runner-up Mandaloon, now number one in NTRA three-year-old poll. And then the next Derby-related thing is a national media teleconference with Bob Baffert and Brad Cox. That is despicable. It's an ignorance of one's duty as a national organization. NTRA, do better. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, like, this is just, it's one of those things where it's like, you get you get hit, you get hit, you get hit. Every every now and then, like, I, same thing happens to me when I'm watching sports or shows or, or things that I'm interested in. Something something bad happens, you get, a, like, a, a sour taste in your mouth. But um, 
Yeah, we were hearing. Um, we heard. I think um, initially uh, that there was never this this drug was never around Medina Spirit. Period. Um, then we heard that this was like an attempt at cancel culture. Um, we heard, as you mentioned, something about a groom urinating in one of the stalls in a previous positive test, not for Medina Spirit, for a different horse. Um, and and then the the most recent um, news that we had heard, and again, like we are just literally reporting things that are happening ha- had have happened. Like for the like, I'm not I'm not telling you anything that didn't happen. This is this is just what has gone on the 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 series of events. Um, then this morning it was. Oh wait, he has been getting treated with this cream that does have that steroid in it, but we didn't really know. So I I have a couple like uh, I just have an honest question. Either one, really, we didn't know this was going on and that that was going to flag on the test, or two, there are people around your Kentucky Derby contending horse that you don't know. Like who's who's around them? Handling them I mean I don't know I've seen I've been at the track I'm not I've, my, I've had people that I've Known very well that have been Trainers and I've been in the barns quite a bit um, I don't know how many People are walking in and out touching every Single or like a really nice horse like that Like leading up to the derby I, it, I don't know it's just There are a lot of things that I look at and I have a Hard time I have a hard Time digesting them um, Because I'm not stupid. I don't think you're stupid. I don't think a lot of the people uh, out there that are listening to this are stupid. And I think when you when you continue to hear different excuses over and over, it's really hard to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, what has horse racing done on a national stage to deserve the benefit of the doubt? Nobody in racing was shocked when Jorge Navarro and Jason Service were arrested by the FBI more than a year ago. We may have been shocked at the depth that they were doing things at, but nobody was shocked that they were doing something. And we all watched as Jorge Navarro and Jason Service would take these claimers and turn them into stakes winners. Nobody on the national level made any effort to try to stop it. It took the FBI to do that. Then you get a situation like this. I wrote a column for my website came out on uh, Sunday and it was at the time when Bob Baffert was saying, I've been wronged. This horse has never gotten the drug, whatever. So at that point, what I wrote went as follows. Wait for the split sample. If the split sample comes back negative, revamp everything as far as post-race testing goes, because if we can't get it right when everybody's watching, who's to say we're getting it right when no one is watching. If the split sample comes back positive, throw the book at everyone involved. Because something you mentioned earlier, there's no deterrent. You have horses running for hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. What's $1,500 on a week's vacation to a trainer? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They get suspended. The horses run under their assistant's name in the same program, and they don't miss skip a beat. There's, there's just, there's no deterrent and there needs to be some sort of deterrent. There need to be uniform standards. There can't be a situation where you have guys. And I know there have been a lot of people like this, but the first one that comes to my mind is Marcus Vitale, who 
got run off of several circuits, is in Arizona, I believe, and nobody can do a thing about it because Arizona's decided he can race, even though a bunch of other jurisdictions, namely the Mid-Atlantic area, have decided he can't after an incident where he ran away as people tried to inspect certain things in his barn. Seriously, go look at that in the Pollock Report if you haven't seen it. It's fascinating. But you look at this stuff. You look at racing's track record. How has racing shown it can effectively police itself? And what reason does someone who has no familiarity with horse racing except a couple days a year, what reason do they have to believe that horse racing can ever effectively police itself on Be a on the up and up. national level? It's not even so much being on the up and up so much as, okay, Say somebody gets caught doing something. Because it's inevitable in every sport. There's everyone, there's always going to be people that are cheating, that are trying to cheat, that are doing, they're not playing by the rules, whatever the rules are. You know what? I'm even going to throw in, there are instances, especially at the NCAA level, where the rule book is so big and so thick, it is almost impossible to go a season in a high-profile sport without committing some sort of NCAA violation. You know what? I understand that. If we're looking at some really obscure thing, there's benefit of the doubt that's there. For instance, when I worked at Siena College, and I can say this now because it's 10 years later, everybody involved has moved down the road, and it wasn't even anything major. But the head men's basketball coach at Siena went to a press conference of sorts Read off statistics from an exhibition game. You can't do that. Apparently, there's an obscure rule where you can't talk about statistics in a scrimmage or an exhibition game or something. It was worded very wordly. You report that to the NCAA. The NCAA says, eh, just make sure you don't do it again. Whatever. (laughs) This isn't that. No. This is a Kentucky Derby run and made a very big deal of being run as a substance-free event. No Lasix, nothing. Remember, they're phasing out Lasix. And then this happens, not just to any horse, but to the winner of the Derby who rebroke in mid-stretch after being on the lead and on not an easy lead throughout the race. It's not a good look. It's never going to be a good look. And there are people who are very much in a hurry to try to sweep stuff under the rug. The public isn't going to sweep this under the rug The Preakness this coming weekend, Gino, is in position to do record ratings, and it has nothing, and I mean nothing, to do with the race or the quality of the race. Nothing. Another thing that you were sort of hitting on, um, um, right there, like how big of a deal this is. This is the Kentucky Derby. So again, Andrew and I are not vets. I there are a lot of things I understand in racing, and then some things I don't. I don't, and I don't pretend to. So we're kind of. Asking these questions out loud here We're not even being like this is just sort of An open de- conversation that We're having here you know because um, I think it's A lot of the things that some some of the people that are uh, That are players like us are, are thinking you Know um, and, and, and maybe feeling um, I, I I wonder so With the split sample situation Okay so if you're Telling me that that horse in a Race in like a $10,000 claimer on a Wednesday Test positive and now we have to have a split sample So that sample is going to take a month Because based on the lab it's sent to There's a lot of other stuff in front of it Totally get that, I understand that But you're telling me in this situation 
The most important race We can't get some sort of An expedited way To get that thing done I, And I don't know maybe, maybe it can't be But you're telling me that within the next few days That can't have been done Or it, it couldn't have been done within hours A helicopter, fly it here, where, wherever you gotta go This is the biggest race we're talking about I, I, and maybe I'm dumb in this, and 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 I've had a few people say that there's there's a little more of a process, right? Like I think the trainer gets to pick which place they want to send it to That's next, correct? Or, That's right, correct. something like that. So pick, tell them you have 24 hours. Pick, you're gonna send it. We're gonna go. I, I don't understand why this ha- ends up being a weekly, uh, this long of a process with this particular race. If there was one race where we should right now, I mean, again, I don't like comparing something like this, but. Doesn't this happen in court when there are very important cases that need to be like moved up the ladder because they're going to be rushed to trial? Something that's a really big deal. Like you figure you have to get the information before the blood work done, whatever it is. I don't understand how this is something that would still be on the back burner. Well, you're you're right in that the person being accused does get to pick the lab. That takes a little bit of time, and they have a little bit of time to research their options. Samples get moved. Samples get tested. Now, the testing process does tend to take a little while. I mean, remember, it took a week after the Kentucky Derby for us to find out, okay, something's fishy here. So I can understand a reasonable delay. Now, if this winds up being a situation where Medina Spirit wins the Preakness, and is headed to New York, and by the time he lands in New York for the Belmont, we still don't know, that's a should not occur. And in that case, then I'd be with you. With everybody's eyes on it, I would imagine we hear something sooner rather than later. I get where you're coming from, but that's the reason why it's not necessarily available instantly. Trust me, life would be a heck of a lot easier if it was, and we'd be able to move on accordingly. But What you just said brings to mind my main objection, because we've mentioned what Bob Baffert said on Sunday. We've mentioned what Bob Baffert said on Monday. We've yet to really mention what he said on Tuesday. And what he said on Tuesday was that Medina Spirit was treated for dermatitis with a cream that contained the banned substance. Gino, to me, that's an admission of guilt. I don't care what the test says. He admitted to it. There no, he did. He might did. not have been. There might not have been nefarious intent. And I am not saying that Bob Baffert loaded his horse up with steroids like Ivan Drago in Rocky Four. I'm not saying that. I am not making aspersions on Baffert or on any other trainer. But in 48 hours, he went from "I've never administered the drug. I've been wrong. This horse has never had happened. it. This horse has never had that drug. In fact." At the beginning, he was kind of saying, sort of acting like he didn't really know what the drug did all that much, which we know that he's actually said that he gave Gamine that drug before. Um, So, so, but he goes to that, he does that. Gino, have you seen this medication and the way that it's labeled? Yeah, it's like a dog medication, isn't it? It's not even so much the way that it's labeled as far as purpose. I'm just talking about what's on the bottle. The banned substance is right on the bottle. It's right there. Now, is this a case where Bob Baffert trusted his vet? I don't know, and I don't care. The point is, you got the drug. It's a pass-fail situation. 
he got the drug. Now, who knows? Maybe the story will wind up changing at some point. But if Baffert's admitting he got the drug, if the drug is not allowed in any amount, let alone the initial reports of 10, as it turns out, it's actually zero, depending on who you read. If that's the case, horses disqualified, Mandaloon is the official winner, we move on. Am I missing Dang. something here? No, there, there's like that's that's it. Like I think that's like if if you admit to the guilt, even if it was, it's not intent. It doesn't no. matter what what the intent and was. And, and we can be, and, and we can be like, and in that case, we can give him the absolute benefit of the doubt and say, let's say he absolutely was not trying to give this horse anything. You to not know that this horse was getting that is a problem. Right. In itself, in itself, yes. that's the problem. Yeah. You know, like, go, go ahead. No, I'm just saying, if you've got a horse that's in the most well-known race in American horse racing, and it's not particularly close, don't you have to know every single thing that horse is eating or drinking or dealing with? Rubbing on their skin, on their feet, on their anything at all, any salve, any... Um, and, 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 and this is, again, I think this is coming from someone who... He understands over the last couple of years the perception of how bad things were and and how bad things were for him too. Um, so much so that he actually said in I think in late 2020, like I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna make an example. There were a couple trainers that said we are gonna do better about this. And it, it is unfortunate because no matter what, like no matter where you stand on what you think. Was was done? Do you if you thought this was no doubt about it, right? Everything was given, or even if you think it was a total accident, um, it is it it was not allowed for the horse that day. I think it no. was. I mean that that's like it, that is in just the most basic sense, and um and 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 it's disappointing because you do figure like someone like like um like Bob who's had a lot. Um, I know we saw people posting articles from like the early two thousands in the L A Times where things like this were being talked about way back then, like twenty years ago. Um, you, you would think that, um, he's had, um, he's had many chances where he's been in situations similar to this, never this big with the horse in the derby. Right. But plenty of times with plenty of horses, um, and, um, he, he's gotten the benefit of the doubt from everybody. A lot of the time, I mean, a lot of the time there have been a a lot of things that, um, he, uh, he, he he from public perception he's given the benefit of the doubt um by and i think it's unfortunate because you just um th- that only goes on for so long um we we can't look at every unique situation and say oh, okay yeah like something weird happened to just this horse again um and and so i know you know and know because we're we're in america right this is due process like every every individual like act or um, should be taken as its own, right? Like right to a, a, a fair trial. But it, when you come into a trial, the things that you have done before can be used against you, and they will be used against you. What kind of a person you are, what kind of history you have. So, you know, if this was a trainer that was. A really up and coming new trainer And I don't even want to say a name Andrew Because I don't want to put that on anyone right But let's just say new up and coming trainer Young person um, Nobody has really any Big positive or negative thoughts about them And they don't have a lot of positives But something like this happens 
I mean, I don't. I think it's a big deal, but I don't know if it's as big of a deal because of 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 who this is, right? Like this this who this is means a lot with this situation. If this was a trainer that a lot of people didn't know at all, I don't think this is is that big of a deal. But I think it is because this is the guy that's sort of supposed to be the standard. Um, we we whether or not you know, like again we you think that's silly to say. That's what we we've wanted. Um, and so like I'm a lot of emotions right now. Like I'm a little I'm a little sad, I'm a little frustrated, I'm a little confused. Um, I'm not even really surprised, like I said, because this is not something that um I, I don't think any of us are really naive. It's we just we want we want horse so much more for uh for horse racing. We and we we want like we always want to give the the people in charge the benefit of the doubt, but it's so hard when things like this continue to happen, Andrew. I'm going to be far more fair to Bob Baffert than a lot of people. A lot of people hear Bob Baffert and they hear a positive test and they start, you know, wishing that he was, you know, at the gallows getting hung. Okay. I'm not one of those people. Bob Baffert was on record as coming out for stricter reforms in horse racing as far as drugs are concerned. Baffert stood with a lot of backstretch workers as counter-protesters when PETA showed up at Santa Anita, okay? Something like this, where there may not have been any negative intent. I understand that. Facts are what they are. You to ask anybody, anybody that considers themselves a sports fan, not even a racing fan, just a sports fan, you ask them to name a trainer, they're going to name Bob Baffert, unless they're older, in which case maybe they named Dwayne Lucas because of how big he was in the 80s. But chances are, you get somebody who's a sports fan now, Baffert's going to be the first name. And for good reason. This is a guy that has won everything prominent that there is to win in American horse racing. He's won the Triple Crown twice. He's now won the Kentucky Derby seven times. It's a guy who, when all is said and done, from an accomplishment standpoint, may go down as the most accomplished dirt trainer in the history of American horse racing. And that is not a small statement. But you look at this, you see, okay, he went from not, he went from saying the horse had never gotten a drug to blaming cancel culture on Fox News to saying, oh, wait, yes, he did get the drug. In 48 hours, whoever was leading Bob Baffert's media team needs to be fired because anybody that thinks anything that he has done is a winning strategy. In any way, shape, or form. For him or for racing. For either. For him exactly. individually or for, for the whole. It's because not even that it works for him and doesn't work for racing, whatever. If it was a strategy where he said, yeah, the horse tested positive, but have you seen the thresholds and da 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 maybe that puts him in a favorable spot. Maybe. But he's dragging himself down along with dragging down the sport. It's a horrible look. And you look at some of the headlines from some of the outlets that only cover horse racing a couple of times a year. I'm going to read a tweet from Defector Media, which I believe is the offshoot of Deadspin that was created when Deadspin went belly up. So this is the tweet, and I'm not making this up, and I'm saying this with a straight face. Bob Baffert admits horses butt fungus treatment, not cancel culture, nor pee whoopsie, caused positive test. Congratulations, horse racing. This is how the sport is seen by the general public. What are you going to do about it? 
Um, we will always try to be honest with you. That's one thing that I can promise you, and I can promise you, uh, my good friend Andrew will always do. And I think that'll be to our fault many times because I, again, I don't try to be like a holier than thou person. I am not perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I will continue to make a lot of mistakes. But I, I will try every day to be good, to do what's right, to make the right decision. And to, to be honest, I think that's the best thing we can do. And and as as someone who wants to be um a a very successful person in media and who's had a long time in media, I think being honest is is what gives you credibility with what you do. And I'm you know, I'm and I know I think you're similar. Um I I'd love this show to have a million people listen, but I'm never gonna be someone who compromises my beliefs or my integrity or will or won't choose to talk about things um because I want to get a bunch of people to click. I, I will gen genuinely uh genuinely and generally try to be as honest as possible. And it, it's unfortunate that I don't think that's a relationship that's been reciprocated with us uh by horse racing, Andrew, for for a long time. Um we are people I tweeted something similar to this too That young people who are very excited Very energetic um, Very um, like um, Interested in learning this game And, and growing this game And being passionate a big part Passionate is the word you're looking passionate. for Yeah exactly and, and, and you and I were guys who Like you know We're, we're Kind of got like like shafted And I don't even want to say shafted People have gotten things way worse than, than us But it's just no, we didn't really get a lot of uh, like thank you for the work. We appreciate that you care about this sport, and I, I just feel like that's that, that's so strange. Like I don't I don't think that you know from the top down the the place uh, the the people and the places a lot of them really respect their customers. And what's nice is that I think there are I don't like saying everyone because I think and you you I know you know we know some very very good people in this industry that really are trying hard and want to do things the right way. I continue to mention the work I did I've done with well, Jason is someone a lot of places with the people at Stable Duel. I think they're really good good people and they do a great they have a hard time coding. And I do Andrew, that you or someone who is, um, you know, we joke about gimmick Andrew, and but it's respectful. But you're not going to be scared to, to say uh, to just. I don't like this outside. So just as a heads up, you cut in and out, but I got most of what you were saying, I think. And I sincerely hope that you can hear me okay. Yep, yep, so, I got you. I got you. Okay, well, it's weird. And it's very strange. And I'm not going to paint the picture of, woe is me, I'm no. the scorned person from thoroughbred horse racing, whatever. Here are some things that I know. Horse racing in the past five years has dismissed a lot, and I mean a lot, of very passionate people that it sees as expendable. And that's a mistake. Because if you want to market this sport to the way people claim they want to be, people claim that they want racing to be a major sport like it was 40 or 50 years ago, you need people that know how to relate to fans and gamblers and people at all forms of the fan life cycle, whether they're going to the track for the first time, whether they've been to the track a few times and want to learn more, whether they're high rollers, anywhere in between. There's a place. There's a place for everyone. There's a role. 
whether yeah. it be in front of the camera and behind Matt marketing, advertising, helping people out, walking them around in the paddock, whatever it's going to be like, there's a role for people. And it's, it's unfortunate that I just, I, I, I think a lot of people have been out of, out of, uh, their, their best, you know, roles for success out of place. Um, and it's, it, it all trickles down to the same thing, the top down, right? I think the leadership at a lot of places, um, is not great and the places that feel like They're either succeeding or That feel like they just have a good energy around Them and a good buzz around them or Places that feel like the people in charge Are are just like very honest And very transparent So I should probably explain the Concept of gimmick Andrew for those Who don't know what it is Several years ago I had an Experience in racing That significantly made me doubt Who I was sap me of all of my confidence, what have you. If you ever want to ask me about it, my DMs are open on Twitter. I'm happy to converse with anybody. If anybody takes exception to anything that I've said and wants to chat intelligently about the subject, tell me one negative thing or one thing I've said that isn't true, and we'll talk about it. Now, the reason Gimmick Andrew came about is because people thought I was pompous. People thought I had an ego. And the reason for that is I'm passionate, I'm knowledgeable about the game, and I'm not afraid to tell you what I think if you ask me my opinion on something. That got portrayed as over-the-top arrogance to where I said, okay, you know what? If you think I'm this character already, I'm going to take this character, turn the volume up to about 18 or 19, and become horse racing's version of Al Bundy bragging about scoring four touchdowns in a single game at Polk High. Well, a couple months later, I wind up beating everybody at Saratoga as the leading handicapper of all media, whether that's print, whether it's television, whether it's radio, everybody. And that was the worst thing that could have possibly happened for a lot of people because that gave me ammunition and justification that maybe... Just maybe I knew what I was doing. Now, I've dialed that back a fair bit because I've realized that a lot of people who aren't necessarily wrestling fans aren't quite in on the joke. But it doesn't change the fact that I know what I'm doing, that I'm confident in what I'm doing, that I can speak intelligently about the issues racing faces, and that I'm not going to pull any punches for the sake of kissing somebody's ass. See also a situation where a major track on the West Coast pretty much had a bounty on my head after something I wrote during the 2014 season when that track had a breakdown problem. And at that point, the problem wasn't them having the breakdown problem. It was me saying. It was the people who were were bringing attention to it. And that's that's been a a thing in racing for a long time, too, is that we want to be treated like a a really mainstream sport. And then anytime there's something serious or big, a lot of people... Kind of put their tail between their legs and go running And they don't want to address the problems at all And and I get it, look, look, I get it I understand um, And and does it come off sometimes when I say things That people are probably like, oh man, he's an ass Or he's, hip- he's being a hypocrite I can tell you right now, the reason I'm not being a hypocrite Is because I've been in these places I know exactly these conversations Like, we've, we've had them that, That's why I'm telling you, I'm not someone who's like I wonder what it's like when you're in a network And it's really hard because you don't want to go and blast the people that are like the people that are your bread and butter every day. And even if you want to, your bosses are telling you you can't. So what are you supposed to do? What are you, what are you supposed to do, right? Do you, 
you, you know, do you get to the point where you finally just say, okay, I'm over it, or do you just suck it up and say, okay, I'm not going to mention anything, I don't care, and 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 that's fine. Um, it's yeah, it's. I mean, we we told I've told stories about people calling the the TVG offices because they were mad that we critiqued the ride or some said something about a horse, and um, you know, this is a moment where a, a lot of people that aren't in racing are sort of laughing, and it's not. And the only reason why I don't think it's it's funny. And why I don't laugh and haha right This is something to make fun of Is because of the animals right like because of the horses We what's what's Saddening is you just mentioned a breakdown Issue that was five or six years ago Um Bob Baffert had horses Previously in his care a lot of them Uh pass away never really figured Out why um So this is not a Just happened this is not a witch hunt This is not people having it out for Bob um this is not um, you know, I've read from a lot of other people who say if there's a s- contamination in a sample, it's generally going to come up in multiple samples. It's not going to come up in just one. Um, so, very, very unfortunate again, uh, Andrew. And you know, we've bounced all around. We're coming up on 45 minutes. There's probably things that we haven't hit, and maybe we we continue on. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to address that that we haven't um, in this conversation. And then Andrew and I and Darren are actually going to handicap the races. And to be honest, everyone, like. I said this at the very beginning of the show I put it on, on social media I'm not going to play a whole lot this weekend I am going to go through the Preakness I'm going to go through some of the races on the undercard And give out a couple horses for some of you Who do want to play I completely respect it if you do I'm not going to hold it against you For those of you who don't want to play I can understand that What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the couple hundred dollars That I would have bet this weekend What my bankroll would have been And I'm going to put it into uh, some of the Stable Duel Preakness contests That they have because there are people that I enjoy that I've worked with that I've had a good relationship with and I don't want them to to suffer this weekend and not have a lot of people playing their contest so I'm going to do my best to um focus my bankroll there and then maybe it's a week maybe it's two weeks maybe it's when we get a little bit more clarity about this whole situation maybe that's in 2 days we get the split sample back we find things out something happens where I I, I don't know it's just it's 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 kind of a feel right when I know how I'll, I'll feel a little bit better um this is you know, I'll kind of go back to where I was, but I'm a person who in the last five or six years has probably taken my handle down like 50%. You know, Andrew, like I spend a lot of my hours at night um, prepping for this show, watching old wrestling, looking, watching baseball games, basketball games, looking up those statistics and information and not just racing, which is what I would have been doing six or seven years ago. And that's unfortunate. Uh, because I, I truly think that that's probably where I have a good edge And where I, I, I probably would have been able to uh, to Maybe succeed the most If I felt like it would have been been worth Putting everything into um, it's, it's just sad Well, first of all, the one thing I'll tell you Is the same thing that I'll tell anybody else Whose work situation has changed Whose hobbies have changed, whatever It's your life and your happiness is the most important thing If you're happy doing what you're doing That's all that matters And that relates to the way everybody's going to attack this weekend in different ways, because everyone is digesting this and dealing with it in their own ways. I'm not going to judge anybody who doesn't want to play this weekend, who wants to sit things out and see where things are going. I will think nothing less of any handicapper who makes their living or has a very lucrative side hustle who says, you know what? My heart's not in it this weekend. I need to step away. No issue with that at all whatsoever. There's one that I very much respect who has already come out in record as saying that. And you know what? That's fine. I have no issue with that. Do what you got to do. 
and hopefully the drive and the passion for the sport comes back. Now, I am going to be playing. I am going to be doing Champagne and JD live very early on Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific time. Like I said, very early. Get the coffee ready. Now, JD and I are going to try to focus on handicapping the Preakness card. I say try because we're recording this on Tuesday night, and we have absolutely no idea what's going to come out between now and Saturday morning. We just don't know. And if you do say you know, you're lying or you're full of crap. Now, it's a situation where the two of us are incredibly passionate about this game. We care a lot about the animals. We care a lot about the game's health moving forward. We have no problem talking about issues as they come up. We have no problem engaging in productive dialogue with people within the industry. This industry is not going to be in a healthy place if the default reaction is to curl up into a ball and wait for the public to look elsewhere before doing something. Public's not looking elsewhere right now. The eyes of the world are on horse racing. And the Preakness is going to do ridiculous television numbers because of that. And there are some in horse racing that are going to see that as a good thing. The controversy creates cash, right? We had to get at least one wrestling reference in on this segment. Bish. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a situation where racing is once again on the back foot, fighting from behind because they had a lot of chances to figure out solutions for things like this and kept kicking the can down the road. Racing needs to show an improved ability to police itself from within. And I mean what I said. If anybody has any exception to whatever I've just said, I think I've been incredibly fair. I think I've been incredibly honest. I've tried to come off as sort of an ombudsman type to where I can look at everything from a variety of different angles and say, okay, what happened here? That's not a stance that a lot of people on Twitter especially are taking. Gino, did you happen to notice that the Preakness draw was not streamed on Twitter today. It was a five-minute draw. Uh, it was a five-minute draw. It was posted on Facebook only. There's no way that was an accident. The Horse draw. The Twitter has been in a frenzy for several days. Yeah. Everyone has had an opinion. Donald Trump and OJ Simpson have released statements. They've called about the horse the a junkie. Derby. He called the horse a junkie, and then. OJ came to his defense. Uh, says he knows Baffert. So I was I think I think our buddy Barry Spears, um, uh, who is is like one of the masters of oh, the meme. I love the, Barry. Me too. He's one of the masters of the the meme and gift game. He he posted, I think I saw the OJ thing because he he had a response to it. And it reminded me of a of a Dave Chappelle stand-up uh, comedy the show. The exact same sketch. Where, yeah. where it's like um, okay, uh, we're gonna get Jaw Rule on the phone right now because we really want Jaw Rule to oh, weigh in on I what's happening for nine. Yeah, well, I had the one where they're they're like, uh, it's nine eleven and everyone's like ja not Rule, sure what's yeah. going on, and they get uh, who the hell is curious about what Jaw Rule thinks about that? It's like the juice is weighing in. You know, this has hit the fan. Okay, so my idea was there is a skit in Dave Chappelle's first Netflix special, which for my money is his best where he talks about the four times he's met O.J. Simpson. Well, the fourth oh, time yeah. was at the Kentucky Derby after he had quit Chappelle's show, and he had said, this was when I was technically missing. So he runs into Chris Tucker at a bar. They start talking, and O.J. Simpson comes barging over and says, hey, guys, let me get a picture with you. Chappelle looks and goes, 
juice. I don't think my career could survive that. If you're Bob Baffert, isn't the last person you want supporting you O.J. Simpson? Yeah. Uh... Now, again, I think we've been fair to Baffert in this, a heck of a lot more fair than most. Yes, I I agree. Willing, And this is sort of a closing thought here. I'm willing to believe he didn't intentionally give the horse this particular drug. Fact is, he did. He admitted he did. As far as I'm concerned, Mandaloon's the winner. Cross off Medina Spirit. Move on. And I really hope that's the direction this goes. Because what Baffert did was an admission of guilt. And if racing continues to wait as long as possible to make these decisions, the public's not going to care. Any chance we have to convince the general public that this is a fun way to spend an afternoon going to the racetrack is gone. People need to think and be proactive rather than reactive. And I think that's ultimately the big overarching lesson in all of this. Because if we had effectively policed ourselves over the last 20 to 30 years with the advent of Lasix and race day medications and different ways in which trainers tried to get a leg up, would we be in this situation right now? Nope. Nope. We would believe, we would just believe in the, the process more. Yeah. I we, mean, we, we would trust what, it. When USADA comes out and says there's a positive, does anyone question it? No. No. That's where it, racing needs to get to. And they're not going to get there just by sitting on their hands, telling people who are affiliated with tracks, you can't talk about this running five minute draws for the Preakness will with nobody acknowledging the elephant in the room and hoping people don't notice. That's not a winning strategy. And I'd be willing to tell that to certain people. It's a case where again, anybody who's passionate about this game wants racing to thrive. Gino, this ain't it. I I hope. And, and this stinks um, as we wrap it up uh, here, um, you know, moving forward after a trainer wins a big race, I, I would love to be able to say, wow, congratulations, great job training. Like what a what a masterful job. But but in the last 10 years, I've stopped doing that, Andrew, because I've seen there's been too many times where I've seen it and I felt like, well, I, you know, you kind of thought something or there was something up. And now it's a it's a bummer because like anytime somebody wins a big race, you're going to go out there and shower them with praise And then two weeks later find out that something gets positive Like there's a test and then you, you're eating your words And then you get a, like bitter and dejected And it's just um, I think that there's been a you know A problem with like Pumping some of these people up even though uh, Some of the people know that You know they, they've had they're not perfect They've had some of their issues and maybe it's Shining a light on on some of the people in racing that we really do the grand motions and the mots and and some of those people that like I think one hundred percent of folks who follow racing can say yeah that person doesn't do anything wrong or doesn't do a whole lot wrong and if like I mean if again I don't like to put this in some but if this was one of the trainers that really hadn't had any mess ups and they had had a very long history this this situation is probably very different how it's perceived and maybe. Somebody does get more of the benefit of the doubt As okay what was the real intent All that being said You've hit it a few times It doesn't matter what the intent was here It doesn't matter if you personally like Bob or not If you think that he's a great guy The greatest trainer of all Or if you think that he's been a cheater It it really doesn't matter What matters is that as of Tuesday morning He said this horse did get a substance That they were not supposed to be getting To run in the Kentucky Derby Yeah Um and all he had to do 
was say that on Sunday. Yep. If he says that on Sunday, it's bad. But it's different. Way it's different. It's gotten a thousand times worse since then, especially with the calamitous performance that he had on Fox News talking about cancel culture, talking about grooms urinating and feed. Just whoever decided that that was a good idea, what are you doing? If you're in media strategy, find a different line of work. Andrew Champagne, uh, one of our good friends. You hear him all the time here on That's What G Said. I really appreciate you for coming on and uh, and being honest. And hell, I mean, even in this, like, there are probably small little things here that you and I disagree with, per- per, like maybe some few particulars. But I think I think most people come come at this in in a in a pretty similar stance in that. We we're very sad. We're really bummed out. Maybe you're mad, but you're you're definitely feeling like a little emotional about this this weekend because, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's not great for the sport. And uh, I really appreciate you you coming and hanging out with me for uh, for about an hour and talking about this. And I'm sure, like you said, we're recording this Tuesday night. Who the hell knows what is going to be happening as of Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, and by the time this race runs on Saturday evening. Does anyone else need a beer? <laughs> I do. I absolutely do. Andrew Champagne, make sure to check him out this week on Champagne and JD. And uh, you're going to hear him uh, again this week on That's What G Said with uh, the, the preview of the Preakness race. We actually do go through um, horse by horse of the field and, uh, you know, give a, give a positives and negatives along with Darren Zocali. So big thanks to Andrew for tuning in. Don't go anywhere, folks, as we have plenty more here on That's What G Said. So that'll do it for this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Big thank you to Andrew for helping out. Never an easy conversation, you know, when you have to talk about uh, stuff like that. We're, we're disappointed, um, and, uh, you know, we obviously want want the, the best for racing, and uh, we'll see what's going to come out of uh, the next few days here. And Eric helping us out with the NFL draft. We will have another episode coming up in just a few days where we go over NBA who's hot who's not big win for the Lakers on Tuesday night uh AD looked a little banked up again after the game it looks like LeBron's going to be coming back soon too with just a few games left so we'll talk about what the playoff situation looks like and then next week we'll have a, a bunch of NBA for you as we get set for the plane and then the playoffs I'm going to try to bring on three or four different NBA guests to get us all set up for that uh, but that's going to be next week we'll talk some NBA later this week we'll also talk wrestling with Chad Cooper we'll get to that Preakness conversation with Andrew and with Darian some of the uh, thoughts on the Pimlico Saturday undercard because uh, we're going to give you get you set up for that stable dual contest so probably won't be talking pick fours and five stuff like that as much as uh, horses I'm going to use in my stable dual line up. Good luck this week. Hope everyone has a a nice one, and we'll be back in just a few days. Joey, close it out, buddy. Sure.